Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. Let's break down the architecture of Killian Murphy's face. So he's yes. got <laughs> this thing going on where... It's just a sentence I didn't think I'd hear on the podcast his, today. His sunken Oppenheimer <laughs> eyeballs. Like, he, he's got this face where he... Sunday Scaries. How many films do you think you have to watch over the course of the next couple of weeks? Um, well, so far, I think in the past two to three days, I've watched over 20 submissions. Jeez. But those are like shorts and feature length films. Mm-hmm. So they're still on the docket like 25 to 30 hours that mm-hmm. I still need to get through. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I think within like the next week or two, like everyone else comes in and like starts, Mm -hmm. starts taking a part of a part of the, yeah, part of the responsibility. That was my other question is like if everybody has to watch everything or if you kind of just like divide the labor where you're just sort of trying to split, like delegate enough where we're not having to watch a thousand films. Yeah, pretty much like with the with the shorts, it's like I'm going I'm going through the shorts and the feature length films and if anything catches my eye, but which I'm still iffy about, then I'll kind of put it out where someone else should be watching it just just to get like a second opinion. And then like once the whole team comes in, then there's going to be at least two to three people kind of chosen to. Like you should watch this film, and someone else should watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need it to be. I need it to be a team effort in this case. So yeah, so everyone can be watching separate things as opposed to like, oh, did all six or seven of us like watch the exact same movie? It's like yeah, yeah. So can you give us any? Are there any teasers? Can you can you tell me anything that you've watched already that you think is definitely going to be in the? I was telling Collins about this short. I don't know if you if he remembers if you remember. Uh, I was talking about one. Why do you say that? <laughs> well, why would I remember? Uh, yeah. Well, maybe maybe once I once I don't continue know what you're speaking, insinuating, but... you'll uh, it'll it'll jog your memory. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I was talking about this one short where this woman is obsessed with her teeth and Ooh. keeping them keeping them clean, keeping them proper and cut to nighttime where she's like finished her like her whole deal of flossing and brushing and all of this stuff and is it ren stevens huh what's that <laughs> yeah from even stevens i don't oh, know if you remember that but sorry that was a it. random disney oh, channel no, no, cut no. it's of, just i never yeah. <laughs> yeah i never watched uh even stevens but each tooth uh starts like taking it upon themselves to uh take wrath on her like it's like pretty... the teeth are anthropomorphized yeah, and they're like it's seeking fucking... vengeance yes it's That's, pretty fucking badass. That, those are exactly my nightmares. All of my stress nightmares because I've had so much dental work done over the course of my life involve like Same. teeth falling out. I, I had, had braces twice. So you yeah. know what teeth falling out is supposedly means according to like a dream scientists or whatever, or I guess just Google. It means you're hiding something. It means you're afraid of something coming out. Mm. 
Yeah. So maybe unpack that, Travis. That's I'm. Oh, thank there's you. so many things I'm hiding. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't even want to get into it. Um, but hey, it's a Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take the edge off by doing a deep dive into a specific scary movie, trying to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Uh, in this mini series of episodes, we're discussing some of our favorite zombie movies and where they came from. Um, Travis and this week I'm hanging out with Bianca. Bianca's back. Uh, I'm back. Bianca, of course, the patron saint of Texas theater here in Dallas, Texas, a fantastic poet, a film chronicler, and overall uh, just delightful human being. Uh, Thank you. And we're also super duper privileged to have uh, Chris Collins in the house. How's it going? Uh, Chris Collins is a co-host of the There Are Too Many Movies podcast. Podcast, sorry, uh, comedian, editor, uh, yeah, pro- all that pro- professional letterbox reviewer. Yep, oh, good definitely. human being. All the things you said about her as <laughs> yeah. well. I'm also yeah, that. he's also a, like a poet, also like a, a delightful yeah. human being. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Synonymous. <laughs> um, and we're talking about a film from 2002, 2003, 2003-ish. Uh, yeah, 2002, I believe. Yeah, depending on if you're in the UK or not, uh, that kind of changed the game when it came uh, to. Two zombie movies and the undead. In synchrony, what did we watch this week, guys? 28, 28 days, days later. That is a 2000s trailer. That's a That's 2000s trailer. So. And the whole thing just alludes to all the days it skips in the actual movie. Yeah, it does. Did you watch? So you have the Blu-ray of this, right? I do. So in those bonus features, that was one of the interesting things to me about that. They go through in some of those storyboards, right? The uh, They have the animated storyboards, which is basically that, where it's like they're going through day two, day three. And then it says like by, by day 14, it's just devastation every time. Devastation, yeah. devastation. And it's, ooh, it's intense. Oh, that's pretty neat. I'm yeah. excited to discuss our, our physical media experience here in a second. But yeah, uh, so, okay, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we'll go sorry. by your roster. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, 28 days later, uh, uh, stars Killian Murphy as Jim, a young man who awakens from a coma following an accident to find himself alone in a post-apocalyptic London. Ravaged by hordes of ravenous infected, Jim manages to evade murderous packs of infected with help with the help of Selena, played by Naomi Harris. Uh, the two join with a father-daughter duo to seek rescue and attempt to survive following the collapse of civilization as the result of the spread of the extremely contagious rage virus. Wow, that was it. Thanks for listening to there. Uh, um, I, 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 oh I, my god! I went like I'm like the Manchurian candidate as soon as I say thank you for listening I just figured you wrapped up the movie so I don't think we need to talk about anything else but my Manchurian candidate kicked in I was like oh I gotta say my tagline that brought me so much joy you oh, just autopilot went into your robot <laughs> this is hey, signs you need a vacation that you, you get to relax in this yeah. podcast uh, you know? yeah oh that's amazing uh but 28 so obviously I think you guys had both seen this before right yeah yes. yeah uh this was yeah my my 10th or 12th time seeing this but dude the first thing we got to identify here 
never has the conversation about physical media been more relevant than uh, for the purposes than of this, this particular especially recording. Especially this fucking film. Like, why, yeah. I why couldn't is that? find it anywhere. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. at all. So you probably are unfazed by this because you have such a wealth of actual physical media. And I wasn't really <laughs> worried about you, depending, for those that don't know, Chris Collins, uh, and I think the entire co-host. Mostly me. Mostly, mostly me. And if Josh, you're listening, I mean... <laughs> First of all, shout out to Josh and Alex. They couldn't be here, uh, mainly because you can't afford two more mics. But also, <laughs> also because yeah. <laughs> I'm the most interesting and have the most physical media and the most movie knowledge. So that's why I'm here. But anyways, yeah, uh, I own two versions of 28 Days Later. It's a, like one of my favorite uh, zombie films. And Alex Garlic, of course, the writer. And Danny Boyle. Um, so... Yeah, I had it on VHS. I'll let mm-hmm. you borrow that one. And I have it on Blu-ray, which is entirely unnecessary considering it's a standard definition yeah. movie. Um, <laughs> except for the last, I think the last rescue which scene. Which is bizarre, not, right? Not rescue I'll, scene, but the last final I want to talk about that in a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't age well, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> They're like, it's a vibe. It's not a vibe. I, yeah, I It really looks like to, shit. I want to dig into this a little <laughs> bit more here in a second when we talk about the development of this movie. But yeah, it's as I was looking, so I was kind of over the weekend, I, so I had the Blu-ray as well. And I was like getting looking at the special features and everything. And then I was also curious i was like all right well what, where can we tell people to watch this you know on rent it on amazon or stream it on tubi maybe or Buy something it. like you, that's it literally you have to go and purchase this movie mm-hmm. somewhere because it is nowhere to be found right now or there's um, other ways you can get it yeah you can this get podcast it. podcast brought to you by nord vpn use promo code <laughs> scary sunday scaries no we're an express vpn uh express household VPN actually Sorry. so uh yeah. we're gonna have My to bad. edit sure. edit out that uh, promo for our competitor there okay um yeah I, I was like it just struck me because I was like, what What a fantastic moment to talk about physical media because we, there was no other way to watch this fucking movie. And I'm so glad that you you guys had already talked and you got access to the yeah. VHS. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I couldn't find it anywhere. I found 28 weeks later. Yeah. It's on Hulu, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. But yeah, Chris and I were having a movie night. And as I was leaving, I was like, oh, can I borrow 20 days later? And he's like, yeah. And then he pulled out, uh, he pulled out his Blu-ray. But then... Then he offered me his VHS yeah. instead. Well, it's because yeah. I, I remembered. I was like, oh, wait, I actually need that. I, need, I, I, I got I to watch that movie. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Which, to be fair, yeah, watching it on VHS versus watching it on Blu-ray, probably not a huge Not a difference. huge difference. And I bet it was <laughs> arguably probably a cooler experience on VHS. It was probably more authentic in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. my very small, small TV. Oh, was super that was nice. going to be my other question, yeah. is if you had like an external VHS player lying around that you were able to hook up to another TV, or if it was like... No, I just, whenever, whenever I watch like my VHS tapes, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just in like a mini, a mini TV. Mm-hmm. Like hooked up to my regular VCR, so yeah, that's what I had it's, from the it's ages. It's a whole experience. Yeah, like mm-hmm. when I'm the ages of like six through twelve, just like right next to my bedside, that little you know tube thing that I watched a lot of movies on. It was a very formative, like you know, little device to have uh, as a child. But um, yeah, I was it was bizarre. I was I was really stressed out uh, over the weekend because I realized I hadn't really factored that into any of us being able to watch this before you know coming to talk about it this Monday. So how do um, you how do you watch it? You I had the Blu-ray uh, already, okay. so I had I had purchased the blu-ray because i wanted to watch the special features and see the other stuff on there um and then yeah as i i mean it's one of the first things that pops up i guess too when you look up reviews and everything too uh like the roger ebert website does a really good thing of designating like where you can stream it or whatever and then like everywhere it says it's like unfortunately this is not available to stream anywhere at this time and it's like all right cool that is unfortunate yeah it's weird because this is such a good movie uh i I am a huge fan of it, uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see like uh, how you guys feel about it. I like I like the initial take that you the visually at least you don't it's not aged well. Yeah, sure. that's a tricky one because mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, I mean, there are a lot of production reasons, yeah. according to them, that they used a Canon XL1 on and mm-hmm. shot on mini DV, like digital videotapes, which they need. They, obviously, the, a lot of the movie takes place in like uh, abandoned London or evacuated London, so they had to shut down big chunks of highly populated and popular areas. And the only reason they could do that was because of this, the Canon XL1s, the small mini DV setups, and that you, not so much required to. If you're doing it on film, it would take too long. So they pitched that they can do it fast and all that. So that's one of the reasons. But I mean, I guess they they doubled down on that. I, I'm guessing just because it was a new technology, and they're yeah. like, "This is exciting. Let's do a mainstream movie this on is mini also DV." Like one of the first instances of being of like a fully digital like filming process, right? Where right. it's like nothing was like they, everything was straight digital. And but yeah, like the logistical problems that were solved by that were, were was an interesting take on it. And I wonder. I'm curious. Yeah, there's, maybe there's a cynical side of being like, how much of this was after the fact? You guys retroactively being like, yeah, we did that because it was so practical, and like yeah. not because or the it's, other thing of the uh, like you said, the vibe of it because yeah. in the you know the uh the behind the scenes sort of you know 24 minute special them going sort of uh uh very poetically talking about the how the grainy footage captures the spirit of the realism of british like cctv footage and makes it you know more yeah. gritty especially and, uh, in the early 2000s like any show or film that was shown through bbc like it had such a grainy mm-hmm. dingy effect to it so when i was watching 20 days later i was like oh this is like watching space or like black books or any anything of the sort because it just had that same like sort of aesthetic i guess yeah i could be wrong so to the point though like it is it's distracting at times arguably at times they they also were pitching that they wanted the movie to look like it was a survivor with them like filming it like Mm -hmm. as if there was someone with them kind of just capturing it all but I mean, it's not literal in that sense. It's not like yeah. a found footage movie, but they that's the thing they are excusing it. It's with, an interesting idea. The idea that it's like walking the line between being like like that's supposed to be part of like the immersive experience or sure. something, right? That like it's like you are or the camera or whoever is there filming it is also using whatever was available just, you know, lying around that they were able to, you know, accomplish right. this together. It, um, it does capture a vibe, but it's I think it's uh would in the sense it doesn't it doesn't age well because now we're in in HD 4K era yeah. now and now it's like if if you saw this movie when it came out there aren't many maybe you caught it in theaters and was like this had an interesting look to it and then post theaters most movies looked like this anyway yeah. you got you know it's probably early days of VHS and maybe just transitioning into DVD so it was like it it didn't matter that much but like now 20 years later it's like <laughs> It's like twenty eight week years later. Uh, they it it doesn't. It's got it's it's a it's hard it's hard on the eyes a little bit. Yeah, and, and we're spoiled. I'm okay. I'm, I'm projecting. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm spoiled. I, I was just gonna say. Also, one of the main reasons that Chris didn't let me borrow his Blu-ray is because he specifically wanted to watch his blu-ray yeah like yeah, yeah. but like because you said I just, yeah like that's the it thing. doesn't make a difference until literally yeah. it, and that's what's so striking about like i i didn't i couldn't find the reason for why that final sequence was suddenly i, I mean i guess you know narratively it's you know they're out of the woods and the threat of of their their immediate threat has been eliminated and so it's kind of the epilogue right sure but it doesn't seem like i couldn't find any other real reason why that is suddenly because that that is the jarring thing it's like as you're watching this movie you get to that final sequence and suddenly especially if you're watching the blu-ray you're like oh shit yeah this is it's a movie now right (laughs) no it does it it makes that transition and it's 
like they they said they use the the mini dv cameras because of the production limitations early but not every single scene was shot in a strict uh population yeah, like, type of situation like there's a lot of scenes where they could have done film or you know something but they didn't and uh it's they definitely did lean they they leaned into that vibe but uh it's yeah it's tough towards the end but like you said the you could argue the finale they're out of the woods the threat is gone and it's more of a it's like a weight lifted it's Mm -hmm. a it's a breath of fresh air like when you when they get to that scene but uh i'm curious for you like so for me the reason i was able to kind of get around it on this watch because i knew what i was what i was going to get like going into it because i think when this was this used to be widely available on streaming like i remember all like as recently as like a couple of years ago i was able I to you know so, find yeah. it on like netflix or something um and i remember watching it at the time and then just like immediately pulling up the article and the first headline is like is there something wrong with my tv or is this like you know is this the way it's supposed to look mm. um and then but once you get over that hump i think the combined you know like we'll talk about danny boyle here uh momentarily is a good way to transition to that but there is something about the um, the overall like combined aesthetic of his movies in particular and like this very like the UK punk kind of thing that his you kind of is intrinsically associated with his types of movies where you know the combination of like this gritty footage goes well with that the ambient like electronic you know soundtrack um, the original soundtrack uh the original songs from the soundtrack the original theme that then gets like the heartbeat theme or whatever that gets um reused in the sequel and in various other you know material throughout the 2000s and stuff and i think like once i was on that level where i was like vibing with like that sort of aesthetic and then even like there are some interesting camera maneuvers that they do that i'm like all right so many dutch angles it's the dutch angles but it's also like the ones i'm thinking of are like the uh like the overlays where it's just like it's um like the the actor who plays mark uh like his face over the skyline briefly and then they'll like mm. pan upward and it's uh that some is legit one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. yeah like half and half where you're seeing the skyline and it's sunny and then you're seeing his oh it was so good yeah or even so. the uh once they set off on their like you know their road trip and stuff there's the one shot of them going through the english countryside and they pass you know like a field of like flowers or something and it almost looks like a painting like it looks mm-hmm. like brush strokes because yeah. of, um, it was definitely like a deliberate effect in, in that sense but yeah, the practical element for it. Um, I think when, when I, there's a couple of scenes I want to talk about, and I, we'll kind of like dig into that a little bit more. Um, like you said about like how it allowed them to do some things that they wouldn't have been able to do if they were filming on you know 35 millimeter or something. And, yeah, true. Um, but it's interesting. But yeah, uh, this this. Do you mo- want to go linearly or? What are well, we, I, we can jump around. I want to talk about some of the just like Danny Boyle here for a second too, sure, and about kind of like it. how this movie. So the first thing I want to talk about is how this movie changed the game for like the undead and for zombies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty Days Later was a groundbreaking breaking movie for many reasons uh, and has aged fantastically in some ways for better or worse um, over the last two decades uh, it's commentary (laughs) it's commentary on the state of modern society and you know the desperate horrors of loneliness and uh, continue to hit especially following you know the advent of a global pandemic in 2020 Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like oh interesting that thing yeah Yeah, right not a mask in sight no in this movie (laughs) you think few people cough in, in this country and we have to mask up. There's a full-on zombie epidemic. Not a single person wears, in, wears a mask to be or fair, goggles to cover up their eyes. This reminds me of like, I remember, I want to talk about the, the rage virus itself because this reminds me of when the when Ebola was like more scary, right? Because remember when it was like, I think, you know, when I was early on in college or something and like we had a couple of those ebola scares and it, yeah. ebola is a terrifying virus yeah like it's one mad cow too. yeah stuff like that where i think one of the most some of, one of the most sinister things about the covid pandemic was that it was sort of like an unseen 
disease, right? It was very mm-hmm. like it was a little too too subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you have people that are vomiting blood, it's like okay, clearly there's something wrong with that person. We should you know stay away or at least make make an effort to avoid it. Yeah. Um, but it's also just like the the overall like theme and like the commentary on you know the the greatest evil is like you know your fellow man like the, the scariest thing in this movie is like other people um, and then the idea of like using that it's zombie like, movie trope who's the real Walking <laughs> yeah. Dead you know it's, uh, it's uh, is the humans the enemy it's the age old question you know it's really deep and you know this movie it is but it's also like and that's the Alex Garland of it coming out right where yeah. it's like he's he's also got to be like if it when it's Alex Garland you have to be like man men are fucking crazy right and yeah. they're also horny well um, yeah that that aspect was i do like when they take the the real like human nature like went unhinged and write that in like the road does that really well mm-hmm. uh this movie did it really well like the real dangers of are not just the super fast zombies mm-hmm. uh it's um yeah it's but i like when it's done uh in a way that uh is like filters off where it's mm-hmm. like they really went with it on at the end of this movie where it was like, Oh, like that's, they're going to go that route with like, they're going to imprison the women now yeah. where it's like, Oh, didn't think that might happen in a post-apocalyptic yeah. world. But then you think you're like, Oh yeah, it probably would. Yeah. That was definitely the, very unsettling. I was like, Oh, this, this is where we're going. Oh, okay. What of the, uh, <laughs> in reading like the letterbox reviews, just like for inspiration, uh, as we were preparing for this, like the, um, one of the reviews I said, you know, the scare that I that I saw was the uh, the scariest line in this movie is when Christopher Eccleston is says to Jim, he says, "I promised them women," and you're like, yeah. like a shudder runs down my spine, yeah. um, and it, that seems to be like a, a reoccurring theme with I don't know Alex Garland scripts at least uh, that the most recently did you I, did you see Men when it I came did. out last year? Yeah, um, yeah, I did. Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. I think I feel, yeah, I've probably felt about the same. After that one, he's like, I'll go back to writing again. Yeah. <laughs> if that's cool. Everybody's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'd be that's... completely fine with that. Yeah. Which kind of yeah. sucks, right? Because I, it does. like, man, like, it's X-Mac, his first miss. Yeah. Because X Machina, fantastic. Yeah. Annihilation, I fucking love as well. Um, I didn't watch very much of Devs, but I, from my understanding, it's pretty, pretty oh, great. Oh, I haven't seen it. So I love that show. Okay. And uh, I highly recommend it to everyone I talk to. And if anybody on my podcast uh, yes. wants to say that they found that show before me, <laughs> and then they're wrong. And I'm putting that on another record on a different podcast. So I'm doubling down on the evidence that I like Alex Garlic and all of, all of his shows like Devs. So I highly recommend Devs to you. It's phenomenal. Does it like, I wonder how the, what watching men almost changed my perspective on Ex Machina and Annihilation too a little bit. I was like, cause then I, it makes me rethink like how he's writing female characters in a way. Right. Yeah. The, um, it's a very prominent theme in yeah. most of his movies. Um, but in this one, it, it definitely fleshes out. And it is the thing about like, it's not just that, uh, man is, is like the most, the scariest and most evil thing. It's like this, but there's always a particular group of men where in this case, it's like, you know, there's a lot of allegory to like the military industrial complex and stuff where it's like, these are soldiers and they come from a very like dominant mindset where once everything shit hits the fan, they're like, okay, now we can remake the world in our image and like basically have a utopian sort of, you know, vision of what, yeah. what will follow. Playing or God. Yeah. what do you think of men? I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, like, yeah. I went into it. Um, it being my first Alex Garland film or just in general, anything related to him. 
And uh, we're saying it weird. It's Alex Garlic. Is it? <laughs> why are you saying? Why is it Alex Garlic? So people will comment on you on your podcast and drive the algorithm. Is it because he's a vampire? <laughs> you say shit wrong, and then the internet goes, <laughs> and then you win because your shit gets pushed up because of that. Yeah. It's a bit. <laughs> say say we say everyone's name like just try it out. Just well, pronounce every yeah yeah Danny Boyles yeah D- Danny Boyancy actually is how it was pronounced but you know whatever he's 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 a thin man I don't know he doesn't look very buoyant he's not little buoyancy yeah which is uh, Josh is one of his seventeen hundred nicknames but anyways <laughs> you were talking about men I'm sorry uh, yeah besides not liking it it was my first introduction to his work um, I mean besides twenty eight days later because I remember watching twenty eight days later when I was probably around. 16 17 so it didn't hit like at all because yeah. i wasn't really i wasn't really into film as a teenager i only got into film probably around my mid-20s and so men was really my first actual introduction and i was so disappointed that this this is what i would what be a bummer introduced too. to. yeah yeah but uh then i think yeah then then Chris ended up letting me borrow Ex Machina, and yeah. that just completely changed the perspective. Which is one of my favorite movies, just hand, like period. It's and so that's my top it four. It is yeah. so fucking good. That film right there, mm-hmm. Annihilation. I watched it a few weeks ago too, and that one just threw me for a whole mental fuck. But because the way the guy, work. the way the guy writes genre too, is just fantastic. Like in. Annihilation, it has a couple of the scariest moments that I've ever seen on film, too. Like, that fucking, you know, bone bear thing, uh, screaming like a human being as it hunts people through a, you know, a broken down house. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. That one was um, pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite part, even though we're not talking about Annihilation, was uh, whenever they go into the shed. And then just automatically uh, one of the girls gets pulled into the water. Mm. But you don't see, like, what you're fighting up against. Yeah. That, that's cinema. It's so yeah. Like, yeah. Just chef's kiss. Very, very Lovecrafty and, like, monsters mm-hmm. and, and Annihilation. Uh, and, I, and I dig it. But, yeah, and that's, it, like I said, it, it almost changes your perspective, like, whenever you, you watch Men. Because you can see how he does, you know, the, the body horror stuff was there in Annihilation. Um, and then the, the way the characters... When you look at Oscar Isaac's character and Ex Machina going back on it, and you kind of like think of him as you know as a model for this you know this domineering like patriarchal force or whatever, you kind of like you see more of that poking out, and it it changes also like you know the lens with which you see you know Christopher Eccleston in this movie, where this guy is just like you know the like I said the the the, the great fascist of the of the movie or whatever. Yeah, um, it kind of has that archetype in all of his films, mm-hmm. but. At the end of the day, men is in a movie that it was his job to tell. Yeah. And if that makes any sense, where it yeah. was like, he's like, I want to tell a story about the male gaze and the female perspective. I'm writing and directing yeah, it, by like the way. Yeah, like female suffering. Yeah. I can completely write about this and people will get it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's it was a little miss. That was, was the take for me, but the the takeaway from that movie was like it doesn't say anything more substantial than men be crazy, right? And yeah, like, like aren't he was like, it's big pick me vibes where yeah. he was like, aren't men bad, ladies? Am I right? <laughs> it was like, yeah, but I don't know. It's but just, you do an, an entire movie that fails to p- portray anything about the perspective of the of the female lead in it, like other than her being a, a victim of everything going on around her, essentially. Yeah, it doesn't even pass the Bechdel test. So, yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I guess because every other character is just a dude. 
Yeah, and they, they Except don't. Except for that one female police officer. And it, yeah, they don't even really talk about anything other than. It's just also. The, the <laughs> Sorry, acting, I put, put us on this no, men okay. train so, here. Yeah, uh, I'll, this is the last thing I'll say about it. The acting of of uh, was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Still, I'll say that the lead actress and then the the main actor who played like ten different people. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty cool feat to see. It was cool, yeah, and that's kind of like the other like the even the the body, you know gore stuff or like the extravagant i call it like extravagant gore or whatever yeah. um it was interesting like if anything but it's just yeah i, I didn't I don't, I don't know it didn't serve a purpose that i really cared about yeah i'm with you i saw um, it once and i don't need to see it again so yeah um but so this movie written by alex, Gar- alex garland uh directed by danny boyle though uh and my experience with danny boyle has been like i don't know i'm, I'm kind of coming around on him a lot i i feel like he i slept on a lot of his movies other than train spotting um and i i only recently watched 127 hours um but i i really enjoy his the it's sort of like a like a boyish charm to the way he approaches like filmmaking um and this movie comes at an interesting time in his career after his first few movies where he makes um uh he makes train spotting after having done um what is it his first film oh shoot i'm blanking on it homeward bound that's not uh, shallow grave. Uh, oh, is that another one with Ewan McGregor? Yeah, because so Ewan McGregor and Danny Boyle kind of kick off this relationship in the '90s, which resembles that of you know Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, right? Um, where I guess this happens to you know directors some some of the time, where they end up with their leading man, or they end up with a you know an actor who ends up being the lead uh, in a lot of their stories and a lot of their plots. And so Shallow Grave uh, features Ewan McGregor, um, as does Train Spotting, um, and then there's actually an interesting fall out that kind of happens between them uh when um danny boyle goes on to make the beach which stars Leonardo dicaprio um the beach also a weirdly like polarizing movie i haven't seen it i've i've just read the the takes on it that it's just a very apparently it's very fever dreamish uh and danny boyle like those yeah he has the strike of being somebody who kind of that movie and the movie that came before it um a life less ordinary um, which is kind of like a weird sort of riff on like a Coen Brothers style plot where it's like, you know, a, a weird sort of heist thing going wrong, like some bumbling criminals and stuff. Um, and then you have him make the beach, which does not feature Ewan McGregor, you know, for the first time. And they have this sort of this falling out. Uh, and Danny Boyle is also kind of set back by the reception of the beach in a way where this movie uh, goes into production 28 days later and it's kind of almost like a return to form for him where he's doing things that are very like, um, like I said, it's, it's playful. Like there's something about the way this movie is made. The fact that it's filmed, you know, front to back in chronological order. Um, the, the, gimmick of the you know the camera being low quality uh and working with very very with uh, at the time un, unknown actors right um well he wanted to get ewan mcgregor for this right and because he, of the fallout with the beach i think they yeah couldn't do it yeah so they had they were already not on speaking terms at the time and i right. think his first choice would have been to use leo again um mm. after uh not being able to have access to leo because leo was leo in 2000 and had other things going on yeah um he wanted to have Ryan Gosling as well, uh, who wasn't available for this. Uh, the so, Beach was also written by Alex Garland, though, which is interesting. So yes. they're, they're a duo that has been kind of going strong. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of actors that pop up as well. So Christopher Eccleston also in Shallow Grave, too. So you can kind of nice. see how he's building his, you know, his his, his company of, yeah. of regular um, collaborators. Um, 
but yeah, without being without getting a you know a, a, a well known star, he they they kind of revert back to being like, well, let's let's double down on the realism or like you know in the 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 mood of this and uh, have un you know unknown actors who won't sort of be bigger than the movie, right? Which is often you know a, a risk whenever you have somebody who is you know a, a name that can be attached to a movie for the purposes of marketing and everything, but can sometimes overshadow the movie itself just because their face is too recognizable and it, t- it will take you out of the movie by um by seeing them uh so we get killian murphy uh in kind of his breakout role um mm-hmm. this is sort of the beginning. talk about breakout role his first shot yeah <laughs> talk about am i right guys his dick was out his dick's out Full killian frontal. murphy the opening shot of him hanging dong with the coolest haircut on screen uh fucking badass yeah, like if you're gonna yeah it's sure. it's iconic like and that those are the first shots of the movie too is mm-hmm. him wandering around let's talk i mean let, the opening of this movie right um might as well talk about a couple of these scenes because some they're just fucking fantastic um we don't have to chronologically even jump around or whatever um because i think some of the things about this movie will uh lend itself to that yeah um but yeah the, before the the hanging dong shot of uh, killian murphy which is also like kind of a beautiful shot like, first why is he like that in the hospital he's like this yeah but like why you can't see but i look like an egg <laughs> it's a visual bit for yeah. the audio listeners but why is he like that in the hospital just everybody left him there i'm not trying to question just realism in a, in a zombie yeah yeah i mean he was in a coma so they put him in a somewhere like that why is he did, if you're in a coma <laughs> took standard procedure not to waste scrubs on him or something the other thing about it is that his, his parents were obviously kind of worried about the wrong things over here i guess <laughs> yeah no his parents were checking on him like throughout obviously right because they left that note later on so conceivably his they had like a final visitation with him and they were like hey just grab that scrubs he doesn't need I guess. that yeah, like, he's not gonna need that no anymore. he doesn't need to be somebody's like, like at all yeah, like mid evacuation, they were like, "Give me the scrubs," and they, they yeah. ran out. Like, what happened? What happened for for it to be a necessary shot? I'm not complaining, but <laughs> it's a great shot. I'm just saying, like the logistically, if if we're to assume that he was unfazed by the zombie epidemic that apparently ran through the hospital and they left him in there for the evacuation or whatever, if we're to assume that he was unbothered, then we're to assume that someone declothed him <laughs> and left him. <laughs> Just sprawled out like that, a coma dick, just sitting out, and then, and then we get uh, the most iconic shot in the movie, arguably, where uh, he wakes up from a coma. Yeah, zombie looters with very low standards for clothing. They're just coming through and grabbing whatever they can. Because yeah. it also, I mean, they say that in the commentary too, where Alice Garland's like, it doesn't really make sense for this hospital to be empty, like logistically, but like it's cool. So yeah, like, yeah. Which I'm is always about the wrong things. Yeah, it's always like the movie problems, like what what makes sense or what's what looks cool. That's true. kind of thing, right? That's true. Um, yeah, like should, should he wake up with scrubs or without scrubs? You yeah. know, just stuff Let's, like that. You know? Give it the without. choice without. Yeah. <laughs> without, yeah. Um, yeah, and then you like you said the, the the shots that are in the trailer, uh, the most iconic shots of the movie. That the the device of you know filming on those very tiny those those cameras that were easy to set up and tear down so they could shut down you know the the London high London roads right in front of Big Ben. Um, have Killian Murphy like walk up and down the street uh, in such a way where like. They they were literally able to set up their cameras in 15 minutes because they told pulled the cops that and the cops were shutting down traffic between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the morning, um, so they could get those iconic shots of him crossing that bridge and littered in trash and stuff and picking up you know cans of soda. Um, it's yeah, it's amazing. Those cans of soda. Those cans of soda. There what? were there was a lot of Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you were you in the prop department of this movie? Because, like brought so it's much. It's the penis. first thing he drinks. Yeah, I legit, I like freaked out. I was like, yeah, he's, he's, 
there's Pepsi here. Yeah, no. You had to fucking shotgun a cold one with 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 your boy Killian Murphy. Like, oh shit. Like, oh fuck. Yeah, no. A lot of Pepsi product placement this Very, very much so. And Maltesers too. Yeah, a lot of a lot of British snacks. It's a very it's a very British movie. Like it's 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 got a lot of that in there. Um that op- the first opening sequence before that though was was also really interesting to me because I feel like that leans into genre way more than you know the, the this kind of like secondary thing of the introduction of Killian Murphy right mm-hmm. where it, it opens with like the the monkey heist uh, right mm-hmm. where they're coming in and the idea is like you have these activists who are breaking out you know these chimpanzees from an experimental laboratory um, and you have who it, a, a guy who is presumably a mad scientist in there like who kind of tries to put up a fight for a second, but they quickly apprehend him and then release one of the chimpanzees, Nope style, who then yeah, leaps on one of the like, activists. attaches himself to one of the Oof. one of the girls. And then it just then then it just goes wild after that. I was like, who allowed you who allowed you to even like come in well obviously no one fucking allowed them. But <laughs> just I mean from the get go, it's already chaotic. It's like this this is why we don't like fuck with things but once again it's like mankind doesn't give a fuck like we think that we are the saviors of everyone so Mm. yeah Yeah. well it's it's interesting you mentioned ebola earlier because like i guess when they were writing this they were talking about like that laboratory apparently was weaponizing ebola and then rage the rage virus was a mutation of ebola Mm -hmm. so it was like something that was transferable in blood and saliva so they went with ebola as like a a base to write this yeah the this this opening it poses a lot of questions that like i didn't know that i had until i was like started to read like those facts about it right because the other thing that it posits is the idea that it's the rage quote-unquote virus because the way that they're also like training the virus is by having the chimpanzees watch all of that footage of like videos of unrest and like you I know did not realize it's, that because it's not really like telegraphed you know it's, it's kind of a thing. yeah it just opens but, with that yeah you're yeah. right I, I i totally forgot that they clockwork orange to fucking monkey that's, yeah, that's and they're, they're, he's just fucking i totally forgot they did that until you brought it back up because yeah they're just like fucking civil unresting this this monkey yeah, they're showing them all these scenes that are supposed to sort of resemble, you know, like the the, the Cambodian revolution. Yeah, again, it's, you know, with that Kubrick stare. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, of course, yeah, but it, it, it that it's kind of you know it, it's left by the wayside later on. But that that is supposed to be like the origin of it and like why it's the rage thing and like why it you know it drives its you know the people who are infected by it to, into acts of of violence and unreasonableness and also what you know Danny Boyle is continues to vehemently argue separates it from a zombie movie and how he says you know it's not a zombie movie it's a yeah, it's whatever. yeah it's a and it's funny because the writer is like concedes he's like no it's basically a zombie yeah just movie. take the W you made you you made fast zombies yeah it was one of the, it, it's it was the, that first was the one, game right? changer. It is the, mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah, so um, it's like take the W. Yeah, it's this crazy. It's kind of we take it for granted now, but it's like because it's become so ubiquitous. But the idea of having these, you know, they, they were athletes, like the people who were performing like these zombie roles were athletic as fuck and like running around. And they did a cool like little speed ramping trick um, with those digital cameras they were doing to make them even faster. And it's fucking terrifying. Like and yeah. the the turnaround as well. Like. Once you get infected, it's like you've got like 10 seconds, essentially. I, I like that aspect of it where it's like they didn't slowly, like they're not hiding a bite for weeks yeah. like another zombie ones. It's yeah. like if you're bit, you fucking, 
you're triggered imme- yeah. immensely like right away i like that aspect of it yeah it kind of gets thrown by the wayside like in the sequel uh but uh for like an interesting plot point that i actually appreciate i i, I let i i don't know how popular it is but i i do enjoy the sequel to this movie um uh, i think 28 weeks later is a, is a fun one too and i'm excited to see the third sequel that they are producing right now apparently i heard about um, that is it gonna be 28 months 28 months later That's <laughs> of corny. course it is what, what else corny. would it be <laughs> 29 i don't know <laughs> Twenty switch it up at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty eight months. That's uh, a little. But apparently, Killian Murphy is coming back, and it's Alice Garland writing again. Oh. So okay. and it's Annie Boyle, and so I'm back on board. Yeah, so it's I mean it's the dream team back, which wow. is interesting because Danny they were Boyle, none of them were attached to the the twenty eight weeks later. Mm-mm. Um, it was yeah Francisco something I can't remember his last name, the writer director. Uh, he had some other writers on it with him. Um, that was a good movie though in itself. I did, yeah. I didn't think it was like. It's not as iconic as Twenty Eight Days, but it's a uh, it's a solid flick. I mean, the opening scene is probably the most iconic thing of Twenty Eight Weeks. Um, you haven't seen it? I don't think I have. It's uh, you've probably seen the opening scene at least. The opening scene is the one where uh, so it's like a, a man and his wife are hiding out in like a, a countryside cottage with like an older older couple um, and like another couple and some random dude, and then they like try to let in a child, uh, but then they get like it's more night of the living dead style where the house gets ambushed by you know some more infected people and it drives the stake home emotionally like right away was because it the, the guy... child's fault then no it's not it's kind of nobody's fault but mm-hmm. like the main thing is that the husband the main guy he kind of just leaves his wife there he just abandons her because she's trying to save the child uh-huh. and he just nopes out the window and just runs for it and he it leaves... was the kid's fault then he, i mean kind of yeah, kinda, yeah. yeah. like yeah. It, it's always it's kind of always the kid's fault yeah, in exactly. these situations yeah. um but yeah he runs away and it's the main thing about that too is that john murphy theme the uh the heartbeat theme which is the reoccurring theme of this movie too that is just like it's also been used outside of this franchise um but that movie kind of expands the lore of of this movie uh in a really cool way i think um that's that's actually really interesting that's the only thing i remember from that movie unfortunately mm-hmm. i was going to try and watch it but i didn't have time i was, wanted to do my homework on this but uh, I didn't have time to rewatch 28 Weeks Later. You didn't have to, but it's the, the only thing I will say about that. It's you know, it's Jeremy Renner for one thing uh, is kind of the other main like lead in there, oh, which sure. is a really interesting time to watch a movie with Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Um, and he plays like a soldier who rescues uh, the two kids of the dad from the beginning of the movie. Imogene Poots plays one of the kids, um, and then it's some other like young boy actor who plays like an eight year old. Um, and in that movie, there's like you can be like a carrier of the disease, but without turning into a zombie. And so it kind of like expands. Yeah, and it. it creates some interesting ethical dilemmas that then you know get uh, get exploited or whatever um but that is all, all to say that like yeah the the opening of this movie presents some interesting ideas about what this virus is and how it sort of like fits into the um the sci-fi-ness of like what kicked off the zombie genre in the first place uh and the idea of, of changing it not only do we have our our zombies not you know slow lumbering sort of unscary george romero zombies um but it also shifts from being this thing that was sort of more prevalent in those, you know, in Night of the Living Dead in the 60s and Dawn of the Dead, where the uh, the inception of it and, like, sort of the overall background uh, fear was, like, the threat of nuclear annihilation um, and the idea that, you know, at any time because of the Red Scare and everything that everybody be wiped out or that some, you know, this, this malevolent political force would, you know, come and, like, wipe everybody out. Or, like, in Dawn of the Dead in 1978, where it was more of, like, an allegory for, like, American consumerism. And it's like, oh, right, all these zombies are just, you know, uh, 
cap American capitalists essentially, and then they're going around and uh, go hiding out in a shopping mall where they can shop infinitely and stuff. So twenty eight days later, it's about Black Friday shoppers. <laughs> and you know Black what I mean? Shoppers. The rage about yeah, that's and what it is. weirdly like nine eleven too. It's like a weird like oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they did. They did shoot the final scene like around 9-11 or something. They shot, the so day. the scene that they shot is shortly after the beginning, whenever, so like Jim uh, it gets out of the hospital, right? He goes and meets a zombie priest. Uh, we, runs. Can we talk about that scene oh real quick? Oh my God. It's that one of. It's such a wicked scene. Yeah. That, that's the introduction to zombies. To them. Yeah. Basically. And I think it's one of the best. First of all, the, ski, the scene. 50% of this movie is Killian Murphy just yelling hello, and yeah. that's fine. But then he gets into a church, and he goes, in the church, him he goes, hello, to a pile of bodies. Because he sees, like, <sighs> that's a, first a, a, an unnerving sight to see, like, a mass corpse pile. It's and, also the first people he's seen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's like, hello? And then the shot of the two zombies going, turning around and seeing him when he yells that, that was, I think, the scariest moment of the movie for me. I was like, ooh, that's unsettling. They, they didn't say anything. They just went, they just turned around and looked at him. And, I was, and, the, and he was like, what? And then you get the, the priest introduction, which is the best, I think the most Alex Garland thing to do is the first zombie you see is going to be an icon of... Uh, a priest, which is, you know, an icon of good morals and stuff. Of, sal- <laughs> of salvation, basically. Of, of salvation, technically, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah. like, yeah, it's like, it was cool to turn that on its head and be like, no, this, the priest is trying to kill you. Well, that entire thing is set up in such a way where it, it is framed. So the idea that he goes to a church in the first place, right? And you can't, we can't not talk about the fact that, like, as he's going up the staircase, one of the most iconic, you know, shots of the movie is on the wall of the staircase of the church is scribbled in graffiti, the end is really fucking nigh. And it's like, that's fucking punk rock and amazing zombie shit right there. But yeah, then you get the introduction to that room full of people, the first people you've seen, and those, when those guys turn around, too, it's this thing where, like, we haven't established, like, imagine watching this in 2002, you're like, we don't know yet what is going on at all so it's like in that moment you don't know that those people are you know this they're not monsters yet they're still they could just be confused people mm-hmm. um but then yeah that priest comes out and delivers one of the greatest physical performances as well mm-hmm. this thing that they workshop for forever and worked with that particular actor of figuring out how the infected behave physically and this would that is the establishment of the trope of what are now like modern, what goes on to be the modern zombies for the next 20, 20 years. Mm. Um, this is what the fast zombie looks like. And that's when it starts is with that priest's performance. And he's the one who basically decided how it, how it looks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, just jumping in here in the middle of the episode to say thank you for listening. And if you guys like what you hear, please feel free to tag us on social media at scary Sunday scaries. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. It really helps us get more followers uh, and interact with you guys. So we hope we hear from you guys soon. Thanks. Um, that seems really funny too, because all the people in that room are like volunteers. It was just like College a, students. Yeah. It's a bunch right? of people that were around that they had come and they're like, all right, everybody go pile in and pretend to be dead for a second. Yeah. And uh, you're like, that must've, I don't know. It must've smelled terrible in there. Um, yeah. But yeah, he escapes from the priest by bonking him in the head with a uh, sack Pepsi. of uh, Pepsi. Yeah. Pepsi with, with all to of the, the rescue. All of the belongings that he has found, including Pepsi. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pepsi's your weapon of choice as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, <laughs> a zombie apocalypse. Pepsi. <laughs> a wet Always. sock full of Pepsis. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what's Pepsi?
It's really great. great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know. I you got to you gotta do your sound bites. Um, Even though I overwrote her with my own voice. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, he, he shortly meets uh, Selena and Mark. Uh, they help him escape from the uh, ensuing horde of zombies. In the process, they blow up like a fucking petrol station. Um, great scene, by the way. There's some really cool effects in this movie. For That's, that's the weird double-edged thing about this, right? For how low quality like the visuals technically are, there are some great effects and obviously performances and visual gags that occur um, that are maybe kind of overshadowed by the fact that like that of the grainy footage. Um, yeah, but that explosion was the scale of the explosion. I was impressed by. Yeah, it is kind of it's a little cut to death, but it like in almost in an artful way. Yeah, early two thousands movies do that. The, yeah, the repeat cuts. They see it from like ten different angles, yeah. and then it's, I mean it's kind of awesome. I, like, the, in this sense, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, um, I I felt a little guilty for doing too. Right before this episode, we did uh, Dawn of the Dead, right? So we're kind of like working our way backwards as far as like the origins of how this whole thing started, right? Because Dawn of the Dead picks up the mantle of this fast zombie thing the very next okay yeah right afterward essentially got it okay um and so because of that like it's interesting sort of being in this headspace of of early 2000s movies where it's like yeah you're also taking that into account and there's also we've talked about this before bianca about how like there's almost like a romanticism now to like this era like we're far enough removed we're 20 years removed from you know the the debut of these films and like it's an established era of you know filmmaking now that has its own like features and everything and that is one of those things where it's like it it was campy for a while and it still is campy but it's like it's also kind of awesome Mm -hmm. like we had this whole conversation about Zack Snyder and about like he brings that to his movies as well and this being like the British version of that essentially it's like they're they talk about this in the commentary about being like you know this is an Amer- this is not an, an american movie but like let's try to you know we don't have to have a, bi- a huge explosion but let's do a good one mm-hmm. and like they did and it's yeah in in an early stage of the movie too which i appreciated but it was also he's running from his first pack of zombies then you get the molotovs where then you get flaming running zombies yes. so the zombies that just yes. got introduced are now on fire, fire. <laughs> with that high shutter speed on the mini dv so they looked really interesting like i think this is one of the first times you're going to see that weird high shutter speed look where fire looks unnatural and kind of like too sharp and then uh-huh. same for like the rain like later in the movie like oh, the rain right. just looks ins- like you can see every little pellet because yeah. they had the shutter speed cranked way up it was like that it leaned into that that sharp grittiness a lot but um but the I want to talk about the explosion because they forgot to tell the fire department. Did you read that? Yeah. So they, they blew up a gas station and um, production, I, whoever's in charge of that, uh, forgot to inform the people you need to The inform. local authorities. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so they showed up. <laughs> even though there was already a fire truck there. Mm-hmm. So they some some people knew. Yeah. So they had fire truck people there, but they blew up a gas station and then cut to you know everyone in the area going what the fuck and then calling local authorities and fucking yeah wee, wee, wee. so for hours they had to like explain that this was just, just like, a, hey, a like, cinematic experience just, a, yeah. just yeah. a goof and a gag yeah you know and they bring that up like i said like the commentary has a lot of a lot of those little nuggets where they, they're constantly pointing that out because i think the commentary came you know a few years after the release and they I mentioned the whole like 9-11 thing because there is sort of an element of this that is intrinsically linked to that where it's not only just like the the timing of it, but also the things that they were able to do in London, uh, you know, at the time that afterward, because once security globally starts cracking down, obviously, like 
putting a turned over bus in front of like a house of parliament. Right. And then like filming out there, it's like, they would have never allowed that like after the fact. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot of those things where it's like, yeah, can you imagine blowing up, like not telling the local authorities that you're going to blow a fucking, like you're going to pull an Alec Baldwin, like on a petrol station in the middle of Manchester or whatever. Like it's, yeah, uh, it's gnarly. Um, yeah. So the whole, like the duo, we get a, a brief, like sort of co- convalescing, right. Of, of, a, of a pack. We get, you know, Mark, Selena and uh, Jim, they go, um, he kind of gets an exposition dump of like what happens. The rage virus is explained to him. Um, it's a good writing device, I think, you know, right. To have this guy, he wakes up from a coma. So he, some people need to explain things to him. So it, it could be explained to the audience as well. Right. But um, I like that he thought he was hallucinating. Yeah. That he was doesn't my, believe one of my favorite first. parts where he was just like, I, cause imagine you wake up from a coma and then. A few, you drink a Pepsi, and then <laughs> then you're running from a flaming. I you would you, you know zombies aren't. Uh, did they even say zombie in it? No, Is, they oh, never say zombie. Okay, they good, say infected. So, okay, because some people, some movies are self aware, right? right? But like this one, I guess I I yeah, wasn't paying attention. Yeah, they just go by their like the infected. Okay, yeah. So he just thinks, oh, there's some crazy people like yeah. chasing me, you know. So that aspect of it of him going, yeah. I woke up from a coma, and he's not sure. In that moment, he's, like, not really sure if he's woken up. You know, he's like, I, I'm i in a nightmare or something, you know, like, because imagine you wake up from a coma and then the entire city's gone. I would be like, yeah, especially, I'm still in a coma. Especially London that's so fucking busy. Like, right. that is one of the busiest fucking places, like, you can ever be. Mm-hmm. And then just to have it be non-existent. So, yeah, completely. Yeah, like, obviously for him, everything would be just, like, this very radical fever dream like it's nightmare it's not happening yeah like this yeah. isn't it, really it, happening you know all. it reminds me of that i i brought it up when we talked about in the mouth of madness but it's that you know that one scene of from in the mouth of madness where he's walking out of the insane asylum and he walks out into that open street and yeah it's vacant because the world has been raptured you know whatever and uh you know you have like papers Damn, blowing everywhere film it's, yeah that's a yeah you, you could argue that that's kind of what they were i don't know homaging here um yeah, they they we we blow through a couple of characters really quickly. Mark uh, gets moidled by uh, uh, Selena, uh, and so that's how okay. we kind of establish. Okay. Yeah, we can't gloss over that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so here here I go. Okay, <laughs> this <laughs> there are, there are certain scenes that completely uh, like took me out of the film, but then brought me right back in. This is one of the scenes where. They're in this house. Jim is having like this whole moment. They go to his parents' house yes. after after staying the night in like a like you know a, a store or whatever. He he wants to go to his parents' house because they can't convince him that they're not alive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so they travel across the city to get to his parents' house, and he goes upstairs and finds them dead. And we get a super sad note written yeah. on the back of one of his baby pictures as his parents are like dead bodies are clutching each other in bed, having mutually committed suicide. Uh, so he finds a really sad note. They're staying the night there, uh, and he's going around kind of like whimsically you know having flashbacks of his his you know memories of his former life uh, at his parents house yeah they're like hey we're not gonna wake you up p.s we're taking your scrubs haha <laughs> i can see your dick <laughs> love you xoxo really uh, but i guess the candle that he's holding you know attracts the the infected from nearby so they man very very suddenly burst through all of the windows in the house simultaneously essentially and i love i love those fast-paced shots that were silent yeah it's the rabi so, cam kind of thing yeah right? but like, there's no sound dead. effect anytime something was coming up yeah it was just this and then burst so yeah. you'd get this cut of this really unnerving cut of something like coming a pov of something flying up to the from the outside yeah yeah um but you were saying about 
the the scene in the house after a zombie bursts in so yeah pretty much leading up to what travis just mentioned uh yes mark gets bit uh or actually we don't know we do not fucking know which that's that's my question uh is how fast does someone change because we do see an automatic change later on in the film which we'll talk about um but in this in this instance we we don't know. We do not know she didn't like even how wait. fast. Yeah, no. we don't know. She, she could how fucking fast. wait. How she fast. had been waiting. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, exactly. It's like this traveling partner has to fucking go, but she looks at Jim, asks him if he got any blood in his mouth, and he's just so so he's like, sh- yeah, so what? Sh- yeah, so shaken <laughs> up <laughs> doesn't fucking doesn't fucking respond, but then looks over at Mark with just like these fucking bloody wounds. So you don't know if that came from the glass. You don't know if it came from someone that's infected. He is still completely self-aware, like has not turned. It's it's a good more like 10 to 20 seconds. And then just automatically Selena's like, fuck this. I must kill him. I must butcher him. And with then, a machete. With a machete. Ooh. With a fucking machete. And all you see are like, cer- like just very small glimpses of her first kind of cutting cutting off his cutting off his arm yeah because he goes like this and you get a a defensive wound yeah Yeah. but but then (laughs) but then she just she keeps at it like and it keeps going and not not that it's not that it's drawn out like it's such a perfect fucking scene to like showcase that like you you have to do what has to be done Mm -hmm. but it's a it was very uh it was a uh, very unsettling just because once once she finishes there's all this blood sprawled on her body and i'm like okay but then how did no blood get in your fucking mouth like when you just fucking butchered this man right in front of you but yet you're asking if jim over there like got any blood in his mouth so yeah it was the inconsistency of this fucking film makes me so upset honestly i've been pretty fucking quiet about this (laughs) i have been silent for too long (laughs) but yeah there there's a lot of there's a lot of fucking inconsistencies like in this fucking film and that's one of the first ones i mean again with the masks that's all they needed (laughs) just wear a mask wear some goggles i just wanted i wanted because you can be infected so easily what if just on a practical level they all had ski goggles i think that'd be hilarious but also and also very early 2000s yeah Yeah, it works yeah yeah yeah. johnny tsunami just came out yeah it's a I don't know. That works. But it does. The scene. It does. It, ser- it serves to set up two things, like really quickly. Like one, it sets up the idea of just how easy it is to transmit, like how contagious the disease is, mm-hmm. um, and then also like how high the stakes are when you're dealing with people that are will at the drop of a hat do what they have to to survive, um, which is how Selena's character starts out, right? Where she's like, "I don't give a fuck. I will murder you in an instant, in a heartbeat," um, which will allude to like the most emotional scene later on in the movie. But like, it's it, it's wild and it's it's gnarly and it. Like yeah. he's he is flabbergasted when it a when great it a as well. great scene yeah. a great top notch scene but mm-hmm. you know just there's some questions there that's all I yeah. I would like some answers soon but besides that yeah great yeah. scene if if it's if you can be infected with blood splatter maybe a machete isn't the weapon of choice <laughs> it like close range blood splattering everywhere 
Well, you know, I'm just, you know, we're nitpicking. But, it occurs, you know. but yeah, but it is a British movie. So it's like, that's the thing is, uh, that's the other very British thing about it. It is like, you know, nobody, there aren't just willy-nilly firearms lying around for civilians to be using it. They're not introduced <laughs> until later oh, on when shit. the actual yeah, military gets involved. Accurate. That's a good point. Yeah, so that's they've got point. machetes and baseball bats, and when they meet Brendan Gleeson here in a second, you know, he's just got, he's got his riot gear yeah. but, and a see, shield. See, this is this is a pro-gun rights movie. That's all this is. <laughs> if this happened in America, this 20, it'd, be tw- it'd be two days later. Two days it'd later. Be, there'd, there'd be no infection. It'd be like, bop, bop. Well, that was weird. Well, and then the... the Roll credits. To that point, by Alex Garland. This is kind of like an amorphous thing that is vaguely alluded to later, right? So this is a question that was kind of left open ended uh, by Danny Boyle and Alex Garland here in, in uh, when they when they talk about this movie. But the idea that like so when you know later on in the movie, there's a scene where one of the soldiers is discussing the idea that like is this you know is this only happening here right uh, oh, is yeah. yeah has the uk been quarantined or whatever uh, and is the rest of the world just like you know waiting until it runs its course or, and stuff um in the original movie it's kind of left open-ended like there are hints at it because of some stuff that happens later on but um not until like in the sequel they actually kind of concretely sort of like solidify that it was just the uk like it was just yeah. like you know britain in england that well, was well isn't infected. it alluded to by the fact that he sees an airplane mm-hmm. yeah I yeah. remember reading that Danny Boyle shot that in his backyard. Yeah, he was just walking around yeah. with that same camera, just like filming up through the trees, just yeah. waiting for, for trying to find the right shot of just some random plane flying oh, by, sure, right which on. I guess you can do. I guess yeah. you, know, you don't have that's, to give credits that, to that plane. Well, that is a cool shot. That's like um, that it opens up the universe immediately because when you get into a po- post-apocalyptic, your brain immediately goes, well, this is global. Yep, this is the world now. And um, yeah, that shot of just like, and then that little guy, he gets not little guy, but that guy, he gets uh, locked in a in that cell with that philosopher guy, the the guy they allude to being a philosopher as mm-hmm. a joke, where he's like, he's like, yeah, this guy's a madman. This isn't everywhere. This is we're an island. Yeah, like the the world's going on, and we're just killing each other. It sets so. up the like the Lord of the Flies problem kind of thing, right? right. Where it's like the you know the misunderstanding of that movie is constantly like you know this is the natural state of people once you give them you know put them out in the wild they'll turn on each other and become violent whereas like the real message of that movie is when you put posh british schoolboys in this environment they will turn into weird you know very violent assholes and it's kind of like when you put you know very uh sort of like misogynist military dudes into this environment give them the opportunity like to to form their little you know private utopia they'll isolate themselves off and you know planes will fly overhead because the world outside is still going on um it's like the triangle of sadness thing too like they you know the idea that like they're they're choosing the prison and allowing themselves to sort of like stay in it or whatever right um and it's it is one of the more unsettling things about the movie too that like once that gets introduced the idea that like this is all for nothing it's just sort of a self imposed prison or something yeah that's uh it's unsettling for sure mm-hmm. but um but they do meet Brendan Gleeson and uh, his daughter uh, Anna yeah Frank and Hannah right um so yeah Brendan Gleeson has riot gear they've been hiding out in their flat uh, up at the top of this tower uh, they've used blinking lights to attract people um and uh, the scene that we're, we talked we were going to talk about a second ago they once they um so selena and uh jim escape from a couple of zombies with the help of frank as they're climbing a staircase uh yeah oh, don't gloss over that jim is having coolest... a sugar crash yeah yeah he's like hey <laughs> stop leaving me which is a weird just like they really they really dwelled on the fact that she was leaving him in the stairway because they had just had a conversation about it too <laughs> yeah they were like talking like what a but then we get one of the coolest shots of the movie, which is the zombie falling through the yes. stairwell. It's that was pretty rad. It was like anytime you throw a ragdoll dummy down something and like 
gratuitously bonk, bing, bonk, bonk, don't bonk. yeah and watch it ping pong down like that is i love shots like that it was like in mean, that high frame rate and the fact that it's a rage zombie so it's just like still kind of twitchy and just like i love that like shot about. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like you got to go like all out with the stuff like that. And the guy with the riot gear, you were hoping something like that. And realistically, that's exactly what you would do. That's what you were looking for is the fucking goggles with a helmet and like a full face mask. <laughs> he was doing it the guy. right way. Yeah. The only guy. Brendan Gleeson movie. had everything locked down. Honestly, he like, until he makes a shitty mistake, like later on, that was like of no fault of his own. Just the weird happenstance. He, oh, what you know. forgetting all the riot gear when they leave the house and <laughs> just not constantly. What happened to that? It. He's like, they're driving down to Manchester, wherever the fuck they're going. And then yeah. he's just like, ah, oh, Fuck, I forgot all of the protection gear I have. It might have been with him. It might have been on the rooftop, you know, luggage that they had. He just wasn't wearing it Maybe. in the car because it's, you know, it gets hot in there. I so guess. It's rough. But then, yeah, he makes a nice little Fast and Furious judgment call. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. The scene whenever uh, Jim and Selena first get to the apartment and they toast with creme de menthe, um, they filmed that scene on 9-11. Um, uh, mm. That was like that was the one where they uh, they they talked about how it felt weird to fil- film a, uh, a a celebratory scene on that day, mm. um, but it was just a weird coincidence. Did something uh, happened on that day. Something happened. I heard. Yeah, uh, what on did that happen? Day. So, uh, I was a little kid. I was a little <laughs> lass. I don't know. How was much, it weird? How much uh, younger than me are you? I forgot. How old are you? I'm thirty. Oh wow. Yeah, I know it's gross. How old do you think I am? Twenty-two. Whoa. No. What are you like? Twenty-five. Ish. We'll never know. Yeah, it's a Who mystery. <laughs> I like to think that Bianca's eternal. Oh, right on. I like on. to think very, that you're like an nice. immortal spirit that has just been. Or a the... vampire. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's why you work in a movie theater. That's why you work in a movie theater. I'll always love I you have only seen you in the Because the power of cinema. No, I've seen you in the mm-hmm. daytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daytime for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, I wanted to get back to the, the after they leave that apartment because Killian Murphy just becomes like. A, kind of a huge asshole yeah why does he make that he makes two really weird character shifts yeah so he starts by being like this innocent what's going on i'm in a zombie Mm -hmm. thing what's happening and then he becomes oh nice plan big fucking idea we're gonna go through a tunnel look at the man (laughs) with the plan this fucking sucks he's the guy that gets bitten in every other zombie movie and then he makes the third weird character transformation in the third act where he just becomes Rambo. He becomes a ninja assassin. He becomes it's fucking with cool. a tire iron. He <laughs> yeah. just he just It's very fucking hardcore. So that... he, like he loses his shirt and he's like, That's what was holding me back. And he becomes <laughs> this fucking super Rambo. And then Yeah, it becomes like also what I noticed about this film is that so we have a zombie infected film. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how we're starting. Like the first off. third. Yeah, that's how we're starting off, and then it just turns into a war film, and which completely. Well, uh, it turns into a road yeah. trip for a second. <laughs> a really a kind mini, of a kind of a, a sweet trip, like yes. yeah, a little Miss Sunshine. Yeah, sort just of a thing. little on the road thing. Yeah, a little Miss Sunshine. It's yes. it, well, it gets really cute for a second. It really uh, does. One even of, the scene with Hannah changing yeah. the fucking tire is played for a laugh. Like it's played out really cute because, like you said, Killian Murphy is being an asshole, and he's like, "It's a shit plan. I told you it was a shit plan." And then they make the the daughter change the fucking tire uh right, be- right before <laughs> right before that happens that is one of my favorite scenes when they're going through all the bodies and all of the cars because that's one of the very small like fleet like fleeing moments that they have of happiness where you're like mm-hmm. seeing all of them collectively like they go off-roading in a taxi smile, and yeah. i'm just like oh this is this is so great and it's about to end because something will fuck it up as soon as they land on the other side which it did 
That's why Hannah had to fucking change the tire. Yeah. Yet no one else knew how to change a tire except no. Hannah. So. And then Killian's just like, they're coming. Just being a whiny <laughs> asshole. <Yeah. laughs> oh, no, I can't <laughs> see. Like, you're not doing anything. You could grab a wrench. Yeah. Uh, anything. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's a great scene, though. Like, visually. So all of the rats escaping, right? They're they're fleeing from Very the horror of field. the infected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the silhouettes and the shadows of the, of the infected as they're coming around the bend of the tunnel. Um, very, very good. I like yeah. it a lot. Very, yeah. very tasty stuff right there. Um, but yeah, it, does, it turns into a road trip for a second. Uh, they go wandering around. They stop at a, a supermarket and have their own version of the... Um, this kind of shows up in a lot of zombie movies. It's a re- reoccurring trope um, that was set up in the 1978 Dawn of the Dead, which is like this idea of what what do you do like... What is the what does the consumer do like when you have free reign over like the world after civilization has collapsed right and one of the funny things is that always happens that happens in this movie earlier is uh, Killian Murphy going and finding a bunch of cash on the ground and picking it up mm-hmm. um, and because it's it's worthless then it's like what's the point of like but the, it, the first instinct is to be like oh great now I, I can grab all this cash and hoard it for myself um, and it's just, just a really like ironic thing of being like oh well it has no meaning anymore um, but then the second part of it is what happens in Dawn of the Dead in 1978 is they find a supermarket and they're like, we can just take whatever we want. Uh, right. The really cute conversation between Brendan Gleeson and uh, Killian Murphy whenever they're picking out scotches and he's like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't get that shit. This is the good stuff right yeah, here. Mm-hmm. To Not too stuff. hot, a little smokiness, good uh, peaty finish to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he loads up with like five bottles. And then of he the, just, uh, and then yeah, Jim's character just, just leaves yeah. as he's like talking about I, the scotch. I'm done with this conversation. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to hear about this. He's scotch. like, I need to find the Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, another thing that always happens is uh killing a child. Yeah. That's uh, that tends to happen a lot in zombie films yeah, where it's sure. like, oh, the it's moral kinda, dilemma. It's, it's kind of mandatory, you know. Right. Well, it's yeah. also because children are fucking creepy and having an infected little kid like the the little kid too is this is the only instance too where we kind of break the weird rules that we've set up for the infected where that little kid screams at him. It, it, the little kid screams I hate you at him. Does he? Yeah. There's he has a line of is dialogue. Is that a coincidence? I don't. Is that just like a scream that you that you can infer? <laughs> I, I've internalized. Or is it subtitled? <laughs> oh, no. Like, is it in the closed captioning in the script? <laughs> like, Alex Garland wrote, so no, he goes into a gas station, and then their child yells, I hate you, and attacks him. When he leaps on top of him in the closed captions, it does say, I hate you. Yeah. That's weird. It is weird. And it, like, it threw me, because then it also, like, I didn't know, uh, I, I didn't so, want to read into it too much, and I didn't want to know if they were trying to, like, hint at the idea that it wasn't an infected child, and he committed some kind of weird, he just, he just destroyed just a, his living, you know, just, human child. He just child. needed to, his Adderall, and yeah. the, it's, like, that's the issue. Is, he goes outside, Selena's like, what'd you find in there? Nothing. <laughs> so, nothing don't nothing fucking worry about some it. Some Pepsi? Yeah. Like, don't, <laughs> no big don't, deal. Don't go in there. The was, last hamburgers for 60 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't a big deal. Got some scotch. Killed the child. Let's get back in the car. Moving right along. Yeah. They get that. There's that cool painterly scene. Uh, they find some horses uh, and they decide to camp out for the night. Uh, and this is when we introduce the idea that Selena, having been trained as a chemist, uh, has just loaded up on Valium, uh, which she starts dealing out for the later third of the film. Um, they're using it to help them sleep. And uh, Killian has a little nightmare sequence where he thinks everybody's abandoned him. And I think this is the moment, too, where, like, he gets it, a yell hello again. Yeah, he gets the yell hello again. Because what the, the the yell hello scenes are the ones where we're really harping on the one of the horrific aspects of like the idea of like a post-apocalyptic, you know, environment, which is loneliness. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this is also when we flesh out the idea of like how much people need each other, a la horses as a metaphor, um, because they find a little family of horses that are happily trotting off. That's a real danger in a zombie apocalypse. 
Not horses. the flesh-eating zombies. Or, no, not the horses no. either. Just getting sad. Yeah. <laughs> just getting a little sad and lonely. You and know? It's, it's cool because I think, like, you know, as far as the, like, literary inspirations for some of these stories, you know, all the way back to Romero, the, the I Am Legend one is the one that gets referenced constantly. Um, and there's the Will Smith movie, but then there's, like, the book that it's based on is much more, like, that's, kind of, that's what it's about. It's about a guy going insane because he's alone and doesn't have anybody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that theme gets reproduced in these movies a lot where this idea of, yeah, like, the nightmare that you're waking up from is waking up and there's no the people that you were with are not there anymore Um, and being alone and just being hopeless and the only quote-unquote people that are around you are monsters now um and that it is absolutely terrifying and i think like especially like i said to bring it back talking about put in a post-pandemic era um this just hits so much harder too when him and selena are having that conversation about they see you know hannah and frank talking to each other and and how all this stuff is going on on, but at least she has a dad and he has a daughter and mm-hmm. at least they have that, you know, and it's not just trying to live to the next day. And this is where her character shift happens where she's like, all right, maybe me just murdering everybody at the first chance I get is not, you know, the best strategy for, uh, yeah, maybe for she was, existing. she was like thinking about like, maybe I should not have pulled the plug on Mark. Yeah. <laughs> she's thinking I about Mark in that moment. should have just waited like a good minute. Yeah. When she kisses just, Killian every time she's a, thinking about Mark. Yeah, just yeah. to like, double check. What's what's the uh, the turn, the gestation period for the infection? 30 seconds? I don't got that kind of time. <laughs> like, mm, 10 we, seconds. We got to keep it moving <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah, no. Mark, I'm tired of your shit anyway. Yeah, I think uh, there was something. Mark had it coming. Apparently. He's like, I, no, I cut it on the top. Oh, <laughs> no. What did she say? She says he knew. I could tell by the look in his eyes. Yeah. Like he knew he was infected. Oh, well, it's like, okay, so well, yeah, I mean, if he knew, then yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, sounds like victim so? blaming to it's me. It's all fair. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, they, they wake up, they make it to the blockade, and then we get the very tragic sequence of uh, Frank being turned. Uh, My favorite scene in the movie, probably, besides the church scene. Well, it's the most emotionally, like, impact, like, like, impactful and the most rewarding one as far as what they've set up so far with our pathos relationship with these characters yeah because they're probably the like the the father-daughter thing is probably the only redeemable relationship because i kind of lost it for killian about halfway through when he started being like kind of an asshole to everybody (laughs) and then he becomes a murderous psycho anyway which is fun to watch but not necessarily a character arc i liked where i was just like okay sure i mean these people deserve it but it's also like the uh, it plays into that trope of like who's the real enemy in a zombie apocalypse, the living, and that whole thing. But I think they're what they were trying to do because I'm I'm curious about like what the motivation was behind it and if it became the idea of like because they're trying to get to that payoff where it's like setting him up to make it look like it's like oh did he get infected kind of thing like because he starts acting so animalistic and violent you know what I mean oh I guess so they kind of lean into that. In the very final scene. Yeah, like like that's what they were trying to get to. So in order to justify, like they have to like then set him up and like make it make sense to have him go Rambo up over the course of the next I guess 15 so. minutes leading up to it. I guess it was just the most tragic of, the, of all the deaths because yeah. like you cared about the father-daughter thing and the way he... The way he took care it, of them and took care of her. and That, but it wasn't even a risk he took. It wasn't like he did something stupid and deserved it. He just like, it just a droplet of blood and... Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was like having a moment of weakness and yelling at a crow. Yeah. But it was like just the non-consequential aspect of like, it was an accidental infection. Yeah. Which makes it so... There was no hubris or anything. It was just like... He even reflects on it. He even almost like apologizes as if there was some sort of like hubris. He apologizes to his daughter for losing his temper briefly. By that moment, he already knows because he, yeah, like you said, he was 
they they find He's the, got about thirty seconds. Yeah, they find the blockade, uh, the forty second blockade, which the radio broadcast that they've been constantly listening to lists, you know, this as the coordinates essentially that they need to find in order to locate the other survivors. Um, and so, standing underneath the wreckage of the blockade, which is littered with you know uh, abandoned cars and, and such, there's a dead body hanging like on a rafter above, and a crow is gnawing at its like eyeball or something, and. Brendan Gleeson is standing underneath and he looks up at the exact wrong moment and that almost like POV shot of the dropping down of uh, there was like a crane thing if you see like that they did to do it where it's like the drop just falls right into his eyeball and uh, yeah he knows immediately yeah it was yeah and it's tough did you watch uh, the uh, so have you heard about like the alternate endings for this movie Mm-mm. No. Do you know how many? Like, there's a lot. Like, there's a, a bunch of them. Do tell. Um, and this is. Well, I'll talk about a couple of the other ones in, in a minute. But like, there is a essentially a like a split in the script originally that occurs right here. Um, that is completely different from like the remaining events of the movie that actually got produced. Mark comes back, doesn't he? It's well, <laughs> he's got one arm. He's like, I told you, I wasn't fucking infected. Just got one arm. He's like, God damn it! Give me ten more seconds. I was trying to explain. I cut it on the lamp. What happens is, like, apparently they had written out it, it, they they narrate in storyboard form and the the DVD extras for uh, on the Blu-ray or whatever. Like, and what happens is, like, they manage to basically apprehend the infected Frank and like tie him up in some tarps and ropes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to the city and like meet up with some other survivors who like quarantine them and introduces this whole other idea of how to cure the infection through an infusion of blood. Um, and introduces this idea of like, you can cure it. It's a, it's like, it's a blood infection. So if you quote unquote, replace the blood, Oh, like bloodletting, like that old no, fucking it, vampiric. It's blood. literally like the character says it's not one pint. It's not two or three pints. It's all of your blood. You have to give it to him. And so it's, it's, sets up this thing where Jim gives all of his blood to Frank to like cure him essentially but then like in the, co- in the director's commentary Alex Garland and Danny Bola talk about they're like yeah but then we introduce this idea that a single drop of blood can make you infected so that kind of doesn't make any sense so we decided not to go that way um, it also doesn't make any sense for Jim to save this random guy's life yeah like why because he's a dad okay so whenever Jim is having nightmares there's this there's this one line where so he's having a nightmare. They're all sleeping together. And then Frank's character, like, comes over to, like, wake him. I could have sworn that he says, like, thanks, Dad. Like, was that a thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't think he, I don't think he said, oh, he said it. Oh, he said it as a joke. Oh. He like, does when say, he wakes up? Yeah. When he, he, like, when he wakes up from the nightmare? Yes. He says it as a joke because he's, like, he goes, he shakes him up. He's like, hey, you were just having a bad dream. And he just goes, thanks, dad. Like, sarcastically. <laughs> oh, see, I like, took it as, like, him him remembering maybe that, like, his father used to, like, wake him up. Like That might have yeah. been it, but it, yeah. it felt sarcastic to me. I don't, you know what? Okay. Because he had become just you know an what? asshole. Okay. He was still even, an asshole right even, there. Yeah. Even, like, even in... Um, even in the beginning, back back to my fucking favorite scene where Selena butchers Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, when she's doing that, I could have sworn that I saw like a hint of a smile on Jim. When there is, Killian Murphy has like, like resting amused bit. face. There's just like this, I know exactly what oh, you're talking yes, about. Thank you. Yeah. There's like just a sly smile as she, like he's watching her. 
like use that machete. Let's break down the architecture of Killian Murphy's face. So he's <laughs> yes. got <laughs> this thing going on where just a sentence I didn't think I'd hear on the podcast. His, today. his sunken Oppenheimer <laughs> eyeballs. Like he he's got this face where he, obviously he's chiseled out of marble. Like he's yeah. you know he has a perfect jawline. He's um, a beautiful fucking man. Yeah, there's this thing that goes on. It's like whenever his mouth is like partially open, it just appears. He looks like he has bemusement on his face mm. or something. Mm-hmm. It's just and I think that's what was because I thought that too. I know exactly the the shot that you're talking about yeah. where it's like if his teeth are showing but he's not ha- doesn't have an expression expression on he has like resting amused face um and but yeah like it, it was weird I, I i got that too and i wondered if there was like a weird like he was like titillated by the by the violence yeah or exactly something. like yeah. oh this is this is exciting perhaps but i didn't get that vibe considering he was crying like 10 minutes ago about like, like he was still in his crying phase it was the sugar yeah. I guess so, yeah. I he needed need a Pepsi. That's all yeah. he needed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The man goes back and forth throughout the throughout the whole film. Like, yeah. Then again, we go back to imagine waking up. You're the last person to experience every single fucking thing. And then, yeah, you have to just adapt to like every single thing that is being told to you. And for you to do so. That was yeah. an interesting yeah. idea that they brought up whenever him and Selena were having that conversation on the countryside of like, what, you know, what are you thinking about in an apocalypse? And she's like, how I'll never see an original movie again or an original book that's never been oh, written. Oh, that would or, make me cry. Yeah. And I was like, I've that's never occurred to me before to think about that. The idea that the arts die whenever civilization ends. Um, but it's, it's kind of a prof- profound idea. Like, yeah. I mean, you can make more art as a person, but unless you like have kids or make more people or whatever, it's like it'll only ever be something that you create. Um I don't know. And then there's like a small community if you have that. Yeah. There's a, there's a cool synchronicity of like having Brendan Gleeson be in there too. And like his, his banshees of an Inishirin character being like, imagine just giving Frank a violin and having him fill, fiddle his way through the apocalypse or whatever. (laughs) Um, as he just gives fingers away to, I don't know. He's playing that same theme. The just just the violin. Um, <laughs> they're like running from the like can you put the violin away he's like <laughs> switches to the country western the vibe dude <laughs> it's like fine you want to run without music no reason this can't be fun Jesus if Frank what would Killian's have happened such a bummer if Frank had made it to the compound I wonder I don't know I wonder how differently that entire situation I don't know they probably would have killed him if a, a father quicker. was there to defend his daughter <sighs> yeah different movie yeah for sure but the last third of this movie i think like yeah we're kind of is, i think we're kind of like avoiding talking about it because it is, it is sort of like a once once the soldiers are introduced right the the last third of this movie is completely different um and it's it deals with the idea of like you said we've like been jokingly talking about it but it is the the theme of like these these other people who are still alive and survivors are like the the diametrically opposed evil versus the good survivors right right um we get introduced to christopher eccleston and his merry band of uh soldiers who uh they they kill frank and then take the rest uh, take selena jim and hannah to the compound where they explain that you know it's fully outfitted and mined out um surrounded by landmines and floodlights and they've got machine gun turrets and a, a, a decent regime um to to protect it from infected as they invade from the outside um they introduce the the cook who is wearing a pink apron and making shitty omelets um and Christopher Eccleston immediately kind of like identifies Jim, starts having conversations with Jim and is like starting trying to pull him down the rabbit hole of into their new utopia. It seems like he's trying to like lay the groundwork immediately. As, uh, yeah, as I mean, even even whenever Hannah is asked if 
she knows how to cook. That way they can automatically yeah. like put her in the kitchen. Yeah. But yet they don't ask Selena or Jim. Yeah. They just automatically are looking at her. So. Yeah. There's there's some really really gross weird vibes. Uh, Very much so. Yeah. They they have a dinner where some of that stuff starts getting introduced. Uh, and in the midst of dinner, they're interrupted by a uh, attack of zombies. Um, and then all of the this is kind of like the I think where we demonstrate that like the whole that these these types of people like when you put people who are who are seeking the opportunity to exert force and have control in these types of situations they will gleefully relish it right because the scene when the zombies actually attack the the infected actually attack um all of the soldiers you know drop everything and go and and happily you know fight off the red all the zombies like they take a a great deal of pleasure in and fighting uh, fending off uh uh, a zombie invasion and when they come back even like it's almost like that is like activated them because that's when they start harassing um they they've they've kept up the guise of like civility up to that point mm-hmm. as they as they've told you know um jim and and selena and hannah that they can have hot showers and you know we have food and you know we're protected and stuff um but at that point it's like well, they're almost like you know they're they're turned up by getting to shoot a bunch of you know bodies or whatever yeah these guys played call of duty for sure yeah it's exactly that <laughs> yeah they they had a summer fun top-down convertible fun time just mowing down a horde of zombies yeah every time every time one a landmine goes off they just get giddy with excitement and you know cause which again off. goes back to like the like they were like guts would fly onto them after like one would go on the landmine yeah. and they were just like woo like not <laughs> yeah. not not a mask in sight they were just like nothing no raining no blood. protection at all there's like, a distinct know. pink piece of flesh that like lands on a guy's cheek right and, that's what, and that there's the inconsistency it's like right Frank can automatically turn within three to five seconds. Honestly, yeah, it was around at least like five seconds where he knows that he's turning because of the automatic like blood droplet to his eye. But Mm. yet, I don't... Yeah, he managed to get out like one I love you and then he was just like... (laughs) (laughs) Then done. Then done. I love you, Hannah. She's like, why? Yeah, Yeah, automatically. Wow. Yeah. No, but... Towards towards the end of this film, especially, I mean, especially, yeah, I call it the wartime part of the film. <laughs> it just reminded me of Cloverfield Lane and just how you can wake up and yes, you can have someone that is there to save you for anyone that hasn't seen Cloverfield Lane, you should. And you can kind of be weary of like if they are trying to protect you and then in reality it's like who really is the monster like man or the actual monster outside so it's like when they are surrounded by all of these like uh i don't even know how to like properly explain these like young and some old men just how trigger happy they are they're just all a bunch trigger of cool happy. guys yeah. yeah they're all like so fucking like trigger happy yeah. and just yeah exactly like who really who really is the monster like one of the infected out there or like them when they see that new women have like appeared into their kingdom hey it's travis uh we hope you guys are enjoying the episode and if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you think we should watch or comments about the episodes please email me at scary sunday scaries at gmail.com uh we love hearing back from you guys and we look forward to it thanks yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good. Man, uh, John Goodman would have made a great Frank, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a that's a good one. That there is this. Uh, that's great character trope to or a character uh, archetype 
that fits into this that I didn't even think about is the idea of like, it's almost like it's the misery character too. Um, like the idea of the caregiver slash, mm-hmm. uh, you know, off like in, in prisoner, like, uh, you know, the, the guard who is, who is simultaneously like taking care of you at the same time. And it's, well, he's uh, also imprisoning an infected too. Yeah. So it's like even deeper. That's something I don't <laughs> want to gloss over too. Yeah. So we get introduced to Mailer in, mm. in this like sequence too, uh, yeah. who is uh, one of the soldiers has been infected, uh, but they, they kept them alive. Oh, that made me really sad. Uh, and chained them up in yeah. like a courtyard. And uh, Jim is introduced to it by Henry. And like, he's like explains that he's just wait He's waiting to find it, to learn things from him, uh, to learn like, you know, if, if how long it'll take him to starve. But there is, there's an unmissable sort of like a- aspect of the fact that like the infected that they're keeping alive that they've imprisoned here and chained up by the neck is is a, a black man and there's something about that that I think is like yes, weirdly it colonial it... about it that so is so whenever whenever I whenever I watch that scene mm-hmm. that's the exact same thing that I was thinking I was like why did it why did it have to be a young black man even though I I see that Selena is like a young black woman but mm-hmm. at the same time I thought like all of these other like surviving like surviving men are like white so there there is yeah. one uh, other like black soldier who's a survivor too who hasn't he died yet uh, hasn't hasn't died yet yeah, yeah. fucking uh, jim uh leaves him to fucking <laughs> die so uh that was a, yeah that was a hilarious scene jim can fuck off honestly because <laughs> yeah. of that yeah yeah once he once he gets taken out to the woods to get shot he makes that transition into the uh, the rambo character yeah. uh yeah like yeah. you said but i think i think there's an element of it that it's like the idea of this like because the the way the dialogue that christopher Eccleston gets in that moment and christopher Eccleston too is just like i don't how, know how like i was a, a, a nerdy doctor who kid so like i i'm super familiar with him as the ninth doctor i was i was gonna ask if that was the Doctor that was who. yeah that was my introduction to him as, yeah. a, as a, i've seen him pop up in random other shit yeah. he was like in what just one season right yeah he yeah. was yeah. he had one season as the ninth doctor and mm-hmm. like the re- reboot after the 90s or whatever mm-hmm. more famously he was a villain in gone in 60 seconds starring mm-hmm. nicholas cage oh yeah i watched gone in 60 seconds i think like two or three times in a week so yeah. good right before it's this so too. Good. like it's yeah so, so good. in 2000 and, and then right after that he was in the others in 2001 yeah. um and like i said he was in shallow graves of uh, danny boyle's first movie um but yeah he like so anyways he chains up a black man yeah i think the other thing yeah what they're portraying with him is like cologne like this kind of colonialism thing comes very naturally to him and that even the dialogue that they give him at that moment he's like the way he puts it he's like i see somebody who can't he basically can't be a productive member of like a a, a capitalist society or sort of of my new utopia so he sees him he he basically he's describing how he sees the infected person as subhuman but like i said there is there's not something to be lost about the fact that it's yeah it's one of the the black soldiers or whatever like it's when a british man says that about somebody else's uh it's he was a little nonchalant about yeah keeping an infected prisoner yeah so um yeah. and that's when we kind of like yeah the jig is up at that point and like you know jim once they come once jim kind of realized once they start harassing you know the girls and jim realizes what happens they they kind of apprehend him uh they imprison him with that other one soldier who kind of protested against it um and uh we get the sequence of jim getting taken out to the woods and then we get the really gross rapey sequences of uh the other soldiers harassing uh selena and hannah um there's a very very dark uh moment whenever they're kind of like 
I guess, you know, they're, they're putting them into a room to change into red dresses and stuff. And the moment of, of Selena using, you know, pulling out the bottle of Valium and trying to force, you know, give Hannah like a whole handful of them to basically be like, and she's yeah. like, are you trying to kill me? And like to make her forget, yeah, to make like, her not care, yeah. I think is what she says. Yeah. And yeah. that was the other line that I was like, Jesus, I forgot how how dark, like as dark as it is, yeah. like those aspects being written in. You got to like in in the road, for example. I always go back to this example because like they are, they're facing uh you know it's about a father and a son in a po- post apocalyptic world where mm-hmm. food is very scarce, so cannibalism is rampant. Anytime the father and son came across another like pack of people, usually like rabid and feral people who were going to kill and eat them, he had the gun to his son's head, like a mercy kill. And it's like in this sense, it's kind of the same thing where it's yeah. like. If you like, it's as fucked up as it is. It's something that's like that might be a real option that you would consider to be a merciful act. It's yeah. like that's how fucked up it is. That's what it looks as from her perspective. It was like I mean, she's just thinking as purely utilitarian, rational as she can. In Maternal, moment. yeah, just in trying way, anything yeah. that she can to take care of the of you know this person who she you know feels responsible for at that point. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. Like Pop the, some Zans, dude. Yeah, seriously. Um, which she does, I guess, because like when Chip yeah. makes it back she later, does. and then yeah. she's just vibing out. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of having like, a chill. Because I'm yeah, just chilling very, so very, hard. Very aloof. She's just like, it happens. Everyone's yeah. dead. Yeah. Luckily, okay. no, no on screen instances of of actual sexual violence occur in in the plot of the of the movie. But like the uh, yeah, once Jim makes it back, he's like, "Are you high?" Like, and it's like almost comedic <laughs> relief. She's yeah. like, "I'm just chilling so hard. Yeah. Like, what's the big deal?" Uh, she gets these weird. There was like those weird moments, like a full rampant, like like the the zombies are loose inside of the mansion. Yeah, like the people are getting eaten left and right, and then they're like, "Come on, Hannah." And she's like, "Chill out, dang, not a big deal." <laughs> she even like just jogs off down the hallway, yeah, like, very casually. So, uh, it's kind of tough to talk about this sequence of events in this part of the movie but because it's like it is very chaotic at this point but like yeah. essentially yeah like jim goes full rambo once he he it's actually a prequel to train spotting actually because then she goes into train spotting with the drug addiction and then it's like, <laughs> and then it's, it's like one of the alternate endings i talked about yeah yeah um, the next movie is just hannah like trying to like choose life choose job choose a car she's running down the street <laughs> just jump straight into a toilet like <laughs> like oh this well yeah a few months ago i got uh, a, a xanax addiction i don't know what happened <laughs> Anyways, um, these uh, some, some of the kills that Jim pulls off though are pretty fun though. Like he, uh, like him killing that first soldier. Whenever he like he, he uses the air horn to attract uh, Henry, Major Henry, and uh, David is the other soldier out. Yeah, uh, and then they, they become like him. Metal Gear Solid AI, and yeah. like they they can't do anything. They're just full on NPCs. <laughs> like they become the stupidest soldiers in the world. There's and... the panning shot of like like through like fr- showing Christopher Eccleston, and then like it, it pans across Jim, and then over to the other sh- soldier, and like you're right, like he... that was a shot they use a lot in marketing and it looks like a zombie like jim looks like a zombie and i think that's one of the things you were talking about like they're alluding to him having sort of like mm, yeah halfway between rage and human or something or at least like what's the difference between a a, a violent human and a rage infected like mm-hmm. they were alluding at that a little bit but that particular shot you're talking about where it dollies across the that uh hummer or whatever and he's he's it's like a little jump scare where he's in the foreground mm-hmm uh, they used that shot a lot in, I think, uh, teasers and stuff I would see because he looks like a zombie in that moment. But um, There's also some, like, I mean, even, like, you know, the, the practical thing on set, too, is a really funny, like, they have uh, 
I don't know if you watched like the there's like a, a 15 minute thing of Danny Boyle going through the um, the still photography. They had like a photographer on set with them at all times who would go through and just like take random pictures on set either while they were filming or behind the scenes and stuff. Um, and there's a couple of different pictures of Killian Murphy because it, it was in England and cold and they were like filming and it was raining and stuff and or you know simulated rain and so it's like him out there like shirtless trying to like get acclimated to being wet and cold uh, constantly out there so there's like a, a, a ghoulishness about him in that moment and mm-hmm. it's also you know he's a, he's a pale English man you know topless out in, in uh, the gray English countryside um but yeah, it's 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 interesting that that one whack that he gives to that one uh, soldier with the tire iron is is pretty yeah. satisfying though. Gets him a, a swift bonk with the tire mm-hmm. iron. Yeah, um, he pulls off a series of other kills. He unleashes Mailer, uh, who goes and uh, helps cause chaos as the rest of the soldiers are trying to uh, simultaneously locate Jim, uh, figure out what happened to Henry, uh, subdue the girls. Um, and then, like we said, yeah, uh, Jim turns into Bruce Willis. He kind of like makes his way around He's the mansion. He's doing a lot at like, this point. He's like, yeah. I, I have to. It's like, this is my moment to shine. Yeah, yeah, there is the particular moment though, yeah, where he he's escaping. Several of the soldiers become infected, uh, you know, or gets killed by Jim or on accident by each other. Um, and then he hides out in one room of the mansion. There's also another soldier in there who's out of ammo. Uh, and then infected trying to burst through the door jim you know eats himself out of the window yeah and just goes out through the window and then that's bro. it just leaves leaves the guy there yeah. yeah um but that all culminates in like the most like i think with the most emotional point in the movie which is uh selena is alone in the room that she was hiding out in uh with one of the, the final soldiers uh and there's an infected who comes in and jim pops like through the ceiling and like <laughs> bashes the head of that soldier against the wall and then gouges his fucking eyes out oh yeah. that is such Oof. a stellar scene oh yeah, yeah. because gruesome that as it is, one, it's cathartic that one was prolonged and i loved it yeah because so it was also like the seediest soldier the one who clearly like had the rapiest vibes mm-hmm. and like the one with the hat it was the one like it was the one who was like who wanted to knife him initially he was the one who took him out to the woods Mm. and wanted to like gut him Mm. and was also kind of like giving off like the grossest you know like vibes and looks um and so yeah it's it it was it was a i think they were like i I wonder how much of this like inspired that one episode of like game of thrones where it's like the it was like the battle of the bastards right yeah that's a reoccurring thing since this movie the eye push yeah yeah that's a thing well, also just like the the thing, the scene, the episode of Game of Thrones where Jon Snow like murders uh, the Ram- or almost murders the Ramsey dude because uh, like bat- it's like the uh, it's, it's a stupid reference, but uh, it gets brought up in the sequel too. There's a lot of eye pushing in the sequel. Yeah, it's um, like they as there should be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but in the sequel, it's interesting because the zombies start doing it. One of the infected like <laughs> rages out, and he goes and eye pushes like. So uh, they've seen Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah, clearly. they're just like, they're oh, inspired. I saw this. They learned a few things for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, this being the emotional, most emotional scene because in that moment, like we said, this is where I think it's established like that. It, it, it raises the question from Selena's point of view of whether or not Jim has been infected because he's everybody else in the house is chaotically infected or not. Mm-hmm. And so she like whips out the machete and just pauses just long enough for him to come out of the shadow. Yeah. And he says that was more than a heartbeat. And then they smooth. Yeah, that, really that time she yeah. definitely paused. Yeah. yeah. She she gave it a little bit longer than she gave Mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. She learned her lesson. <laughs> but but th- that's not the first time they kissed, right? They, no, they've smooched before. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would have been a weird first kiss. Yeah, they kiss uh, I mean, right after you. I mean, it's still a weird kiss in would, general. Yeah, I yeah. guess it would have 
Penciled for it. I don't fucking know. There's a lot of. Be honest, like not that weird. If you if you if you would shove your thumbs into someone's eyes, I'd still kiss you. Yeah, learning things today. Yeah, for sure. She's like, what was so weird about it? Yeah, that's really romantic. Yeah, that's how to woo me. It's like you have to gouge somebody's eyes out right in front of you. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. It is. Hey, there we go. This is kind of a Valentine's Day episode, I guess. Is it coming out tomorrow? No, it's not going to come out next week. Shit. So retroactively, just know that we were in the mood for romance. I guess whenever we were, we were yeah. uh, discussing this, um, yeah, they smooch and then uh, they meet up with Hannah, who has been hiding behind a mirror, and they go downstairs. Uh, it appears as if they're going to make it into the taxi and get out, but lo and behold, Major General Henry uh, is hiding out in the back seat of the taxi. He shoots Killian Murphy in the belly, um, and then Hannah in the driver's seat does a maneuver where she backs the taxi up into the mansion. Fully on Xanax. Man- yeah, manages to pull this off. Operating heavy machinery like, it's under fine. the influence of barbiturates. Yeah. It's like, I've done this before. I know how to change tires. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can do this. She is the most handy of Yeah, like, very yeah. much so. She yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, but full circle, Mailer, the uh, the initial infected, yank, yanks Christopher Eccleston out of the back seat um, and disposes of him. And they take off. Uh, into the into the gate of the mansion uh, with a belly wounded yeah, Killian like Murphy. R.I.P. Doctor Who. You know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we get the final sequence of this, which is simultaneously uh, chaotic, dreamlike, and then very very vibrantly better quality mm-hmm. cinematography. Well, it's also twenty eight days later. Yeah, another you get so, another. So now it's fifty six days later total. Oh, yeah. that, see, that's what that's the sequel should have been called. There you go, fifty six days later. But but did you read there was I don't know if this is, it's unconfirmed, but twenty eight days is supposedly um like the incubation period for uh, infection yeah right yeah so that was like maybe just a coincidence but like yeah it's, from it's the time you're weeks inf- like, yeah so from know. the time you're infected to the time you're like better it's 28 yeah. days but yeah um this is where all of the like alternate endings come into play so the ending in the movie is they like just flashes and like you know like as if we're going in and out of consciousness with killian murphy um you see you know selena filling up a syringe injecting it with him like fibrillating him um and uh, they finally like they wake the the, the clarity of the, of the shots become incredibly crisp and uh we wake up in like a, a country lodge and killian murphy has a, a stomach bandage and uh selena and hannah have been stitching together giant sheets uh to form a huge hello sign for planes passing overhead which um, is a waste of fabric yeah can we be honest they, ha- they had it at help <laughs> they could have they made, had it they, at help they, they, they i i literally thought of, i was like it's yeah. it's less surface area to spell out a p than yeah it is uh, but you do get that cool shot well during his like semi conscious like dream sequence before he wakes back up you get that shot of the country's hell yeah that was kind of cool <laughs> yeah that was kind of cool but then yeah the, but it's then i was just because going because he's constantly saying like hello so that's why oh, there you go. it's a callback <laughs> to his iconic line hello? Hello? hello it's quite literally yeah oh, <laughs> the movie ends with him saying hello like holy oh my God. shit! It finally, it finally ends. Middle everything. <laughs> Most people, I'm just like hello, and then they run at me and attack me. But at the end, it finally worked. He finally, re- he decided to <laughs> throw it on a fucking landscape. <laughs> what if the plane didn't see him? By the way, they never. It's it's ambiguous, but it's it's not it's, ambiguous, but it's ambiguous. They're like yeah, they don't necessarily get rescued. Yeah. All of the other ending alternate endings for the movie are very nihilistic in that way. Let's They're, hear them. Yeah, so like the first one is that uh, as soon as Killian Murphy gets shot. 
they go back to the hospital. Like the hospital sequence is more drawn out. Like you actually see them searching through the cabinets for morphine and uh, adrenaline, uh, and you see uh, Selena attempting to defibrillate uh, Killian Murphy. Um, and it goes on for like four minutes until he they finally give up because he's dead. And then they just he wait. goes into a coma. He goes into another and coma. And he wakes up again naked. And he's like, no, I'm again. It's twenty eight um, weeks later. In that one, the final lines are: Hannah says, uh, "What do we do now?" And Selena says, "I don't know." And then they just walk out the door, and uh, that's the ending of the movie. Uh, mm, and then in another one, there's a uh, sequence where they kind of the same hospital thing happens, but there's like a uh, an intercut dream sequence where Killian Murphy, we're basically seeing the shots of him like wearing a beanie, and like you're seeing his accident where he's wearing like a red uh, like jumper and a beanie, and it's like him riding a bicycle, like get, flipping the bird to some people, and then like he gets hit by a car like as it intercuts oh. with scenes of the hospital and then he like falls over and then it like ends in the hospital. Um, and then there's, he dies again. Basically. Yeah, basically okay. it's, it's ambiguous, but it's uh, cause it's, it just kind of quick ends with like him getting hit by a car and then like going into like the coma dream sequence. Yeah. Sort of thing. Okay. Uh, and then the last ending is basically the same as um, the ending in the movie, but uh, Jim isn't there. It's, it's just uh, mm. Hannah and Selena at the <clears throat> country house setting up the sign and everything and then the plane falls and flies over mm. um so that also would make sense i yeah. would ex- i would accept that ending of like yeah he didn't survive the gunshot and that's yeah. that but they get you know they make it out yeah yeah because pe- the body count's pretty high like it's not like you know there's not any you, as long as hannah i think you you wouldn't kill off hannah i think would be the main thing right um, right but otherwise so, yeah well, that's the movie so having watched it again today and having talked about it how have your feelings changed about 28 days later or do you feel about the same um, I didn't have any feelings towards it. I just, you know, because I, like I had mentioned, I, I think I had watched it when I was a teenager. So this was my first time watching it. But now, now my feelings are that there's, uh, there's a few inconsistencies in this <laughs> film and, and that's okay. I'm not going to raise my voice now. Uh, but <laughs> get Danny Boyle on the phone. You can yeah. yell at him directly. Yeah. But besides that, no, like I, I dig this film, yeah. I dig the whole aesthetic and just how it create. Like, I fucking love films that uh, are the ones that they don't know that they're they're set to create like certain mo- like movements in right. in film in like television. Like when Blair Witch came out, I fucking for a fact, I'm sure they did not realize like we are going to create something like until the fucking end of time. They invented like, a genre. Yeah. 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 So the same thing with 28 days later, well, they like revamped the genre it. at least. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that, it's, this is a, a big swing at least, right? Like it's something like it's, it's, uh, it wasn't a safe bet as far as like movie making goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, it's uh, I think that's, that is a cool, you have to appreciate at least the, you know, yeah. the, it's a very punk effort. movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, it so, is. Yeah. I think when I it came it. out, I was, yeah, uh, I'm not going to age myself, but I was younger. And uh, basically, it in that era where it was like between SD and HD and HD was still in its infancy and like this was an edgy way to make a movie. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, they did the, you know, it looks like video and blah, blah, blah. And then the fast hordes of zombies was an iconic thing that you don't see. You saw them lumbering, but like these sprinting down hills, like coming over hilltops, like just a swarm of them was just like, I remember being, I, I even would like recreate it. Like I would be shooting <laughs> stuff. And it was like my first like, like experience with masking. So I would film myself 
like in different parts and then it's leave the camera on the tripod and then just cut the shot out so it would be three of me running at camera it's like that was <laughs> it inspired quite literal like me going like i'm gonna go shoot this this will be cool and um so in that sense i was like this is one of the coolest movies ever and now with an adult brain re-watching it it's hard to put myself in that same thing especially because i've seen now so many fast zombie movies and then also uh with with resolution now yeah, where it's at it's too it's, hard to get over it and being a video editor my brain's like oh god you know just watching some of that the the fuzziness it 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 puts it in a department of amateur but it doesn't deserve to be in that department it just looks like a like quite literally like a like a student film or like a some a youtube project or something not like wow. this it's not like this i'm not it's, trying to diss on but it I think that like, hard no 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 no. i completely get it what but i think yeah. also is interesting what you're saying it's kind of like the opposite effect of like having like you know how when we watch you know like jurassic park or something or you watch like a george uh, or a, a steven spielberg film from the 80s where you're like this aged incredibly well like the effects hold up surprisingly well um it's unfortunately like the inverse of that where it's like that the great thing about a lot some of the greatest things about those movies aren't necessarily the actual visual effects of them, but the fact that they do hold up well is, is kind of a cool testament to it because the story underlying story and other bones and tentacle specs of them are, um, are there. Yeah. And this is like a weird reverse version of that where it's like, yeah. And it's also because it's, it's strange because, you know, film can be rescanned to higher resolutions through HD scanners. Whereas there's an era of, uh, like film history where they were transitioning from film to digital where they, some people were invested in it and some weren't. But if you shot on mini DV tape, that has a set resolution. It can't be like yeah. rescanned and re like projected There's and no everything. There's no 4K re- adapted, like, you know, rescan adaptations no. of like, yeah. And if a, there is, it's just fake digital bullshit yeah. where they upscale it and sharpen and try and clean it up where it just looks like ass. So There's, with AI now, I'm sure there is a way to take this and run it through, you know, a, a machine learning thing and probably like sharpen it up in some weird way. But it would be bizarre and uncanny valley probably. Like, Maybe. Um, but... Anyways, long-winded way of saying, um, I still enjoyed what this movie is, like culturally and like the the punk aspect of it. Yeah. Like it's it is a punk movie. Like they they ran went around London with like Canon XL ones and shot a feature. Like in the fucking morning, like yeah. hey, can yeah. you just like close down London for like one to two hours, like every single morning? Yeah, like, that way we can like film. Yeah, like the the scene where. It's a very, it's a very like short, like a short spot where you just see the taxi driving and there's no other cars. Like they shot that probably for days and they were only able to use like 60 seconds of like hours and even like, the hours I- of it. Yeah. Even the idea of, of filming this, you know, chronologically, right. There's something about like that. It's almost like a stream of consciousness thing of them going and because like we, we talked about before, like being able to set up and tear down these, these filming setups so quickly, um, you know, them going through and just like the movie is once they're done filming, the movie is over and then, you know, editing it together and everything. But Danny Boyle is like, I don't know. He's kind of a punk rock filmmaker in that way. Like, I think like, you know, especially like train spotting is a punk rock fucking oh, movie. Very too. Much and so, so it's, there's, there's that aspect of it where, like I said, before, you know, at the beginning of this, like I, I am coming around to Danny Boyle's, you know, filmography a lot, you know, now. And I, I just hadn't really, been exposed to him a whole lot before this other than like, train spotting in 127 hours but did you see the tr- sequel to train i have not seen t2 yet it's not offensively bad no it's, it's, it's not, okay it's yeah. fine there's it's a not... terminator in there this is arnold shows up and yeah right um also sunshine another uh written by alex garlic and directed by danny buoyancy they did uh, that duo again also killian murphy 
Um, uh, it's okay. But it's they have to reignite the sun. So if you can get past that, like <laughs> elementary, like okay. like uh, tagline where it's like, "Well, oh, the sun's going out. <laughs> we gotta fucking go in there and." <laughs> they literally the, the solution it's like moonfall levels of like yeah it's 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 fucking like like coked Wait a out second. Ho- moonfall is just the opposite it, it's the opposite of that movie I, is the moon is the moon falling into earth is that what's happening have you not seen moonfall i've heard of it. it's no. ridiculous it's amazing is it just like oh we gotta lasso the moon and pull it away do you care if i spoil it for you because it's a terrible movie i do i'm gonna see it now okay so don't spoil it, it. Yeah. okay watch it and tell me what you think i'm interested right. to see what you think i'm about. not so you could spoil it i'll tell you later okay all right um yeah, I, I I was really excited. I this is like we said, it changed the game for like zombie movies, uh, and reintroduced re like like many things that happen with you know we talked about this when we did slasher series. Um, there's these weird you know uh, crests and waves of uh, various subgenres and within horror um, that get you know uplifted at various times throughout you know the last couple of decades, and this was definitely uh, when the zombie subgenre as we know it kind of kicks off again uh, and because this movie was very well received at the time and made gangbusters at the box office um for a movie that was made for five million dollars going on once it was released and widely released in america making 82 million dollars back that's, that's a w oh yeah it's a it's a for sure and it i think serves as a you know a guarantor for danny boyle's career going forward after this and allows yeah. him to pick up some of these other projects yeah um i like it a lot i think it's cool um some of the other, as of some other random like tidbits and stuff uh, talking about the box office. Uh, some of the interesting like. Wait, wait, wait. Go ahead. Let's guess the box office. Wait, you already said. I already it. said it. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Do you want to guess here? I'll do this. Yeah. Is there uh, anything we can guess? Yeah. Yo, let's guess this the Rotten Tomato score. I know it's. Like, we're doing my podcast. <laughs> Welcome to there are too many movies. Let's guess the Rotten Tomato score. <laughs> okay. Do you you have it? Don't you? I don't have it. Mr. Actually. Research. Okay. We don't. All right. Um. What do you think? I'm gonna say. 87 87 interesting yeah. that's high yeah i think i think that's a good guess i'm gonna give it thank you i'm gonna give it are we doing wheel of fort like or uh prices right rules closest closest okay. to it yeah. uh i'll give it 82 82 i'll go I right think. in the middle I, that's not my rating but i believe that'll be the rotten tomato score okay i see what you're saying all right um i'll go you said 87 you said 82 mm-hmm you know what? I'll go 88. I'll go right above you. You know what? I won't be a dick. I'll go 90. I'll go 90. <laughs> I, 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 I won't do the prices right, like, fuck you thing. I'll do, I'll go to 90, all right? Yeah, just a subtle fuck you. Yeah, just, well, where am I supposed to guess? <laughs> Fill the dead air while I look this up. Uh, hey, Alexa, what's the Rotten Tomato <laughs> score for Rotten Tomato for <laughs> 28 Days Later? And she just doesn't answer. She just doesn't, gives you a completely no different fucking answer. There's no Alexas in this household. We don't, we don't, we're not writing Amazon's dick yeah. like they do. Oh, you're, okay. Down. All right, well then, hey, Google. <laughs> <laughs> what's the Rotten Tomato score for 28 Days Later? I did look at the, I know what the uh, IMDb score is. And so that's kind it? of what I was basing on. Oh, I think it's 7.9 on it. Or oh, no, it's okay. 7.6 on IMDb. All right, you said 82? Yeah. I said 90. You said 87. The tomato meter for 28 days later is 87. So oh, congratulations. Wow. congratulations right Show Bianca. me the proof. Show me the proof. You think I'm lying to you? <laughs> wow. For the no, I just like proof. That's, that's all. <laughs> I like that. I, that. That's that's a good. That's fair. Yeah. I like that take on uh, as far as whatever for whatever value uh, Rotten Tomatoes has on the. Uh, on the quality of a movie. Yeah. Um, so this comes out the weekend's released in the United States. It comes out in fourth place, uh, making uh, 13, about $13 million that opening weekend. Do you want to guess what was in first place in 2003 uh, in June? 
on the weekend of June 27th in 2003. The Matrix Reloaded. That was in theaters, but it was not in first place. Fuck. No. Like I it's a nothing. movie featuring Lucy Liu uh, and a band of action-packed... Uh, Charlie's Angels? Yep. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle is in first place that weekend. The sequel? Uh, full Throttle. Oh, that has uh, the best motorcycle wow. scene also ever. Also, in its opening weekend, uh, makes $37 million that weekend. Uh, so like we said, 20 Days Later is in fourth place. So second place, uh, do you want to guess? So it was a uh, one of the early installments in the Marvel franchise movies, but not obviously Marvel fran- Mar- MCU proper. But The Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton. Yep. Uh, not Edward Norton. Damn it! 2003. Uh, Mark Ruffalo? No. I don't even know. I don't Eric know Bana, Eric Bana. Yeah. Eric Bana? Eric yeah, Bana? Yeah, no. So that's the, 2000, yeah, the 2003 that. Incredible Hulk uh, is in second place. Uh, it was in its second week, having grossed $100 million by that point. All right, so fourth place is 28 Days Later. So third place uh, is another Disney movie uh, that is probably one of the most popular Disney movies. Also, I'll give you Pixar. Finding Nemo. Yep. I'm fucking nailing. You're getting destroyed. Third place was Finding Nemo. <laughs> I just silence. I'm like... In I... its fifth week, having grossed $254 million by that point wow. uh, at the box office. Uh, and behind 28 Days Later in fifth place was the second installment in an action movie franchise, 2003. If I give any more clues, it's going to be obvious. I think it involves cars. Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious. Gone in 60 seconds, too. <laughs> Gone uh, in 61 seconds. Which was in its fourth week and uh, had made $113 million by that point, which I think is interesting. Yeah, that's a man. It's always fun to go to these little time capsules like 20 years ago and see like what was around. And Yeah, it's um, so interesting. I was impressed that like 28 Days Later actually made that much money in its opening weekend, though, and was competing with these other ones. Because I think for, it's not exactly like, it's an accessible movie, I guess, but like it definitely seems like more of a genre movie that you would think would be pushing people away. But I guess it also is appealing to the aesthetics at the time with the sound soundtrack with like you know even the grittiness and like kind of the like we said you, you go watch this in a theater and like a lot of movies at that time at least on home video it wasn't we weren't in the era that we're in now as far as like right. being so nitpicky about um super high def movies true um, true true but uh that's 28 days later have you guys uh, seen anything else lately any tv shows movies or anything else that you loved or you hated um do you think people should or shouldn't watch uh, we rewatch. Well, I rewatched everything everywhere all at once. Um, I watched it for, the, it for first the first time. time. First time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's a must see uh, coming up on Oscar season. You got to check that one out. Yeah. And I, I saw. What do you think of it, by the way? Yeah, i I really, I really enjoyed it. There were certain, there were certain points. Uh, we, yeah, like Chris and I had a whole long discussion after the film on like how we felt about it. Because yeah, this was his second time watching it and it was my first time uh for me i had such high expectations although they weren't fully met like i completely see why this film is so important and it's been so hyped up beautiful. a lot by this point though yeah. yeah yeah and but yeah there there were certain there were certain scenes in the film that just i resonated so a, a little bit too close yeah a little a little bit too close that i resonated with uh some of the characters, especially like Waymond. Yeah. Yeah, it's the family stuff. Okay, I'm sorry. We had to pause because that's weird. I don't know why that would be happening right now. Keep rolling. Don't fucking pause it. Keep rolling. <laughs> Keep rolling. Talk amongst yourself. Don't edit this out. Yeah, let's, let's talk about... All right. Let's, let's talk about... Everything. Welcome to There It's Many Movies. <laughs> I'm Chris Collins. Chris, the editor Collins, and you are... 
I'm Bianca Vega. I'm the special guest. All right, Travis is gone. Listen, if you can hear us right now, unsubscribe from Sunday Scaries (laughs) and subscribe to There Are Too Many Movies. Patreon.com slash There Are Too Many... Hey, Travis, (laughs) welcome back. But then also subscribe to Sunday Scaries again. And yeah, Patreon.com slash Sunday Scaries, Sunday Scaries. (laughs) And... um, Anyways, you were saying you you loved everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, no. Uh yeah, there there were there were quite a there were quite a few scenes that I that I really resonated with. I thought it was I thought it was a beautiful film and especially uh there there's one scene which is definitely a homage to Wong Kar Wai and I just oh, that that's where I wanted to cry. Like not just because of them like you know, pay like paying homage like to Wong Kar Wai, but just like how beautiful, how beautiful a relationship like can be when it can be made into such a simple thing, mm-hmm. like instead of this like extravagant world. Yeah, like once you make it really simple, and I fucking loved it. It's, <laughs> what it's, it's what did gr- you love about it? I'm like talking. It's incredibly over emotionally you... impactful. Yeah, all the yeah. family stuff, Akiu Kwan being in there giving his like yeah. man, the, the tearjerker performance yeah. where he's like, hey, sometimes it's just cool to be a nice guy, and that's how I fight the world. Like, yeah. you know, oh, god damn it. And then her line later, like, I'm learning to fight like you. Waterfalls, Jesus. waterfalls. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never. I didn't think I could cry at rocks either. That movie made me like. Oh, yeah. the rocks! Yeah. yeah, I'm like watching people fight over a butt plug while I'm crying. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a phenomenal. The, film. the rocks really, really fucking got me. I was like, they have fucking googly eyes. Like, what is this? But, Tumblr text, complete yeah. silence, and just. Uh, but yeah. So Layers good. of genius of that movie. Yeah. Did you see anything else besides everything everywhere? I know. I. Let me bust out my letterbox. <laughs> yeah, take Reese, out the letterbox. I, I'm oh. catching up on my. Uh, Best Picture nominees, and so I finally I had been putting off watching All Quiet on the Western Front, oh. um, so I ca- caught that on Netflix, and boy howdy, that is a that is an awesome movie. It's, it's great, right? I thought I was like pretty sure about which one. I think like I think I, I, I'm I was confident in everything everywhere, um, but now I'm less sure as I'm filling out this watch list uh, between that and Banshees, Tar, and um, Avatar Two: Way of Water. Obviously, that's up there for you. I'm sure. That's so important. Yeah. Uh, Best Picture nominee: Avatar Two. Meanwhile, Nope has no nominations, which is a conversation that we had on our huh. midweek podcast, and it's a whole fucking thing. That's a lot. Um, yeah. Not even a cinematography nomination. Yeah, it's, I was just uh, going to ask. At least that. Yeah. yeah. I would say it huh. deserves that. Yeah. yeah. At least, yeah, for like some technical aspects of it. Like, if not for, like, I, I don't, maybe Best Picture would be a stretch, but like, dude, they were inventing new, like, you know, methods of doing the day for night thing, like Hoi Van Hoitem, like, just, and also it's a beautiful fucking movie. So, yeah. That's, that's my reverse recommendation for being angry about Nope, not. Yeah, nominated, but I don't know. I saw Babylon. Oh, sh- I still haven't seen Babylon. It's a lot. Yeah, Damien Chazelle. It's uh, you know, he did Whiplash and uh, La La Land. Um, it's just it's bombastic Hollywood maximalism. I was so. gonna say between Baz Luhrmann and Damien Chazelle, who is maximalist? <sighs> I'd have to argue at this point. Oh fuck yeah, Elvis was insane though. Yeah. I'd still say Lerman takes the W on that one, but um, or is it Berman? I always fuck this up. Is it Laz Berman or Baz Lerman? It's Faz Cherman. <laughs> yeah, there we that's, go. That's, now you're getting it. That's it. Yeah. I feel dirty. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, it, it's worth watching, but uh, that movie's polarizing for a reason. It's pretty messy, but it's yeah. it's a fun time just for the cinematography alone. Like the editing is. It wild seems like it's yeah. Obviously, those are going to be visually stunning movies, and so it's just cool to see. You know, it's a bit. Movies are a visual medium, and that's like that's 
part of that's most of it and storytelling is also you know it's companies that but yeah sometimes it's just cool to watch pretty things for sure um, for sure a la avatar 2 so it is three hours though yes <laughs> avatar 2 and babylon both three hour visual like spectacles yeah i'd say things that numb your brain yeah um well i know you guys probably don't know this because you're kind of both guessing this week as i'm flying solo but uh as we are in the midst of our series on uh zombies we watched 28 days later this week uh our previous week we watched dawn of the dead next week we are kind of going back to the og we've been talking about it a lot and we're going to cover night of the living dead george romero's 1968 uh, night of the living dead um and kind of also in that conversation talk about where this whole zombie thing came from in the first place because although that kind of set the precedent for ghouls and uh zombies as we know them today it wasn't the first zombie movie and definitely didn't originate the idea so we'll be getting into that um a lot more um but also uh you, i think you have a podcast that you would like to promote i might I do yeah I'll, I'll edit out the dogs barking so do your plug again real quick <laughs> uh, uh i co-host a podcast with my friends called there are too many movies we're on everything we're on the internet tiktok spotify youtube all that stuff um we do a watch list and we review one movie a week and play some games um uh, Check us out if you uh, and like movies. That's in uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and uh, patreon.com slash there are too many movies. Patreon.com slash scary Sunday scaries. Correct. And um and uh, you, like you, you want to drop yeah. your Venmo? <laughs> you got a PayPal or Oakland yeah. Film Festival is coming up and Bianca is steeped deep, deep in the watch list for that. And so we're looking Very forward to so. she's giving us a little a couple of little nibbles of uh, some stuff that might be coming out for that. Um, anything else coming up that's at Texas Theater soon that maybe we should all go attend? Other than featured events promoted by various Dallas podcasts. <laughs> uh, Lloyd Kaufman is coming to town. So that's really cool. I really love him. He's he's a super, super nice man. We're going to be showing Tromeo and Juliet. Legit my favorite trauma film. Like it's just so, oh, it's so fucking fun. And I'm currently working on trying to get someone um, in town to do a double feature i can't i can't name the name but it's All super right. fucking rad so tasty yeah. tantalizing yeah yeah but yeah, buy a zine go to at girl with the box office yeah the girl who I works just... at the box office buy a buy a zine yeah i uh i make zines uh i'm gonna be working or vending at this dallas book fair on march 4th so at the dallas contemporary so yeah, I I don't know. I, I make, love the Dallas Contemporary. Yeah, I make fucking zines and I talk about movies and I write poetry and I watch too many movies. So like I said, <laughs> she said the thing. She did it. Oh my god, she did. She said it. Yeah, but I really do watch. A, yeah, there's no uh, such thing. Like I said, yeah. all around delightful person. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah like uh, Chris was saying, this podcast has a Patreon page. If you go to Patreon.com/slash Scary Sunday Scaries, you can support the podcast and get access to episodes early uh, and join in on community posts with me and all the other hosts. Uh, we also have a Discord server. If you email me at gmail.com or scary sunday scaries at gmail.com uh you can uh request a link to the discord server and also ask me questions recommend movies um or just point out a bunch of shit that we missed in the movie that we should have talked about uh, i would love your positive or not <laughs> i'm just gonna feedback. go on the discord <laughs> yeah. after we finish and it's like this is what we should have talked about <laughs> uh if you want to follow me personally i'm at trap the guy on instagram uh, i don't know if chris wants to have his personal one but he's at Chrissy Collins. Yeah. And if you want to follow at the girl who works at the box office, mm -hmm. uh, that's where you get important updates about Texas theater and all the cool Yeah, like stuff. And, just, and just stuff that I do. Also, if you want to follow uh, my Spanish series, Cinema Con Nosotros. So, yeah, at Cinema Con Nosotros. 
Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for hanging out with and listening to us. Uh, come back next week and listen to us talk about Night of the Living Dead, 1968. It's going to be great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining me, guys. You guys are awesome. Bye. Just Bye. a lot of clapping. Sunday Scaries.